Welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, a podcast where we talk about two movies randomly selected from a list of over 1,700. This week we've got the second Godzilla film, Godzilla Raids Again, from 1955, available on HBO Max, as well as Killing American Style from 1988 from the great Amir Shervan, director of Samurai Cop, which is available on Tubi, which I didn't realize until after I rented it on Prime, so I'm out 199. I am your host, Patrick, and this time I am joined by special guest... Sean. Hi, everybody. Hey, Sean. Welcome here. I wanted to have you on for this episode because you are a big Godzilla fan. Oh, yes. And a big fan of Samurai Cop and of Amir Shirvan in general. You've seen Young Rebels. I haven't seen Young Rebels. Yes, that's true. And Hollywood Cop and... You have seen Hollywood Cop? I have, yes, yes. Okay, I like Hollywood Cop a lot. It's not as good as Samurai Cop, but it's the same movie, and it's nice to see a little bit of a different twist on it. It's interesting to see all of his other films leading up to Samurai Cop, because you can see all these little kind of glimpses in them that then all end up kind of forming this larger hole in Samurai Cop. And it's funny because Samurai Cop's far and away the worst one, like the most incompetent. <laughs> and that's like his latest movie. That's like, I don't know if yes. it's his last movie, but it's later than all of those. So, as I mentioned, Godzilla Raids Again, Killing American Style. Well, we'll start with Godzilla Raids Again. Sean, what are your kind of initial thoughts on this movie? I've always, uh, personally, I'll just start with my own feelings towards it and my background with Godzilla. I grew up watching a lot of Godzilla films that my father rented for me at Blockbuster in the late 1980s, early 1990s. Rest in peace. Yes. And uh, I always really liked Godzilla Raids Again, even though when I first saw it, I had the horrible dubbed version, of which there are two. Okay. There's the Gigantus the Fire Monster edit, <laughs> which is just bizarre in a lot of ways. If you're a Godzilla fan and you watch it, for some reason they reverse the roars of Godzilla and Anguirus, which okay. I just can't get over when I watch it because it's so just off-putting. And then there's yes. the original Godzilla Raids Again <laughs> version, which is, is pretty good, except a lot of the voice actors they use sound like Yogi Bear, so it really... Oh, gives no. it like a ridiculous uh, okay, air that isn't yeah isn't really in the Japanese language original as you can right well there's always tell. going to be a camp element with with the dubbed version yes like I I grew up I like you I grew up with the Godzilla movies and I watched I probably didn't see a single subtitled Godzilla film until I was probably in in undergrad and so when when you're like a kid and watching that like you're laughing at a lot of things and even as an adult some of the ones like um I would I would actually be very curious to revisit the dubbed version of King Kong versus Godzilla because there's two or three moments in that movie that stand out to me as a kid I watched that movie more than most movies as a kid because my brother was a big King Kong fan I'm a big Godzilla fan there's like I remember there's the scene where they're like fleeing an apartment building and some guy asks like wait what's wrong and this little boy says Godzilla but but he just his mouth just moves once and it's like the funniest (laughs) thing ever like, I, st- I still remember there are moments like that that still stick out to me, and I'd be curious to revisit that, but I'm also not that interested in seeing dubbed versions. We we saw, obviously, the subtitled version is what's on HBO Max. Yes, and, and I, I actually had the, the uh, I had the Criterion version of it, which... Which anyone... is what's on HBO Max. Uh, okay, actually, okay, very good, yeah. Criterion logo. Yeah, they did a great job with the subtitles, because I've seen a few different versions over the years 
dubbed and subtitled. And I could say this one definitely had a lot of good translations. And they also translated lyrics to songs, which a lot of that subtitles actually don't do. threw me off. I didn't. Yeah, you're right. A lot of them don't do that. I liked when they did the song in the little nightclub where they're dancing because there's so much of that. But then when they're in that little, I don't even know what to call it, like the body house kind of thing. Like, I don't know what that scene is, but. Oh, yeah, it's uh, an izakaya. Is uh, It's like a Japanese bar. Uh, yeah okay yes they're they're all sitting on the ground which is weird to me because i'm just not accustomed to that so i i I wasn't really sure what that environment was but Mm -hmm. because there's there's a song there and they have the subtitles but it's only for one line of the song because then the movie even though you hear the song in the background cuts to people talking and the dialogue is more important and then i'm like in that instance i actually i don't think i would have provided a translation for that line of the song but that's a the most nitpicky of nitpicks from yeah no yeah i just thought it was interesting because uh normally they'll either just not subtitle it or when they're dubbing it they just kind of sometimes leave it in the japanese language singing in the background so i was pretty impressed with the criterion version it's the first time i've i've seen it well uh do you want to get us started on the plot of godzilla again sure so uh just i guess to link it to the original Godzilla, which only came out, by the way, about six months before this one came out. Uh, This one came out in Japan April 1955, and the original came out in Japan in November 1954. So six months later, this one comes out, and it is basically a direct sequel, right? Godzilla dies at the end of the first one. Yes. And then in this one, we have new characters, although we do have some recurring We have at least one one, um, reappearance, the scientist guy from the original, not... Dr. Serizawa. Yes, uh, Takashi Shimura, who is actually, he's a really famous Japanese actor. He's in a lot of other famous Toho films, particularly Seven Samurai. Okay, Seven Samurai. I I still haven't seen Seven Samurai. When we last talked about Japanese films on this podcast, I hadn't seen any Kurosawa movies. That's no longer the case. I have seen Yojimbo. Yeah, Seven Samurai is a great film, and he's he's a really well-known Japanese actor, although you could tell he was kind of at the end of his career by this point. I was going to ask, because he reminds me, I think he looks a little younger. Maybe it's just the mustache. He reminds me of the evil businessman in Mothra versus Godzilla. Mm. Yeah, and I don't, I, it's I don't probably think not that's him. him. I, think he's I haven't too young. seen that one in a while. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's too young for that, but the guy with the Hitler mustache yes, in Mothra yes, vs. Yes. Godzilla. They have like a similar facial shape, I guess. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. Plus, uh, mustaches were pretty popular in Japan in the 1950s and early 60s, which I think tend to make a lot of the characters look the same. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this one picks up kind of right after the original Godzilla ends. They have to explain why we have a new Godzilla, which... If you've seen the original version of uh, Godzilla, not the American edit, which cuts it out at the end, Takashi Shimura's character actually warns that if nuclear testing goes Mm -hmm. on, there will probably be more Godzillas. And that's exactly what happens here. We get a a second, different, but similar Godzilla. That's funny (laughs) that they cut that out of the American version because they're still... Because the American version is not quite as anti-nuclear arms as obviously the Japanese Yeah, definitely not for obvious obvious reasons, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is very Um, funny to me. I did not not realize that. I've seen the American version more often than the Japanese version more times, but pretty much since I've had access to the Japanese version, I haven't been that interested in revisiting the American one. Yeah, it's actually really funny if you know to look for it. It's when they're on the ship at the very end, and the camera focuses on Takashi Shimura, and then he gives this speech about nuclear weapons. But in the American version, they still have the camera focus on him, and then you can tell he's about to speak, and they just cut there. So... 
if you know what you're looking for, it's actually quite funny. And that you know, is amazing. Now I now I want to revisit that. Yeah, there's a lot of fun things in the American edits of the Godzilla films. I will say the American edit, the um, the 1956 Godzilla King of the Monsters starring Perry Mason himself, Raymond Burr, is actually, the scenes with Raymond Burr are remarkably well done for what they are. Like, the way they use a lot of, like, the backs of actors. They're, oh, yeah, definitely, yes. They're pretty convincing in... in like managing to make you believe that Raymond Burr is actually there when obviously he isn't. It's pretty skillfully done, if I remember right. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yes, they have characters dressed in the same outfits, but talking to him from the back so they can splice him into the film and make it actually look like he's interacting, which is... And they also avoid dubbing a lot of times in a real clever, very simple way where a character will say something in Japanese and then Raymond Burr will be like, what's that he said? And someone will translate for him and be like, oh, that's kind of a good way to like avoid the camp factor that we talked about with yeah that's true i mean the movie is still dubbed but like when you have moments like that it's kind of nice yeah and it's actually i mean they're they're two very different films but they're also both interesting and good films in their own ways even though Mm -hmm. you know there are a lot of changes so back to godzilla raids again i guess i'll just give a brief overview of the plot for everyone that hasn't seen it so we have Two former war buddy pilots, Tsukioka and Kobayashi, and they work for a tuna company. And the film starts with the two of them flying around over the seas around Japan looking for fish to radio down to their girlfriends at the cannery headquarters. Kobayashi's engine breaks down and he has to crash land near Iwato Island. This is actually a good example of something I noticed. I saw the uh, dubbed version, like I said, so many times when I was a kid. And in the dubbed version, they keep saying his plane conked out. Like, that's the (laughs) phrase they keep using. Um, And I always just thought it was funny when I was a kid because I didn't really know what it meant. And it sounds kind of ridiculous because of the amount of times that they keep saying it to everyone. Right. So it was was good to see a version where, you know... it doesn't make it quite as amusing because they kept, yeah. obviously, you know, they just gave it subtitles. And I liked how they didn't subtitle it as conked out. Go- going back to the English dub of King Kong versus Godzilla, I remember, again, some more of that awkward phrasing. I remember there's that character who's complaining about his corns all the time. Yes, yes, yes. Because he's walking around. <laughs> And he keeps saying corns, and then the other characters are like, will you shut up about your corns? And as a kid, I just, that was the funniest thing in the world to me. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good ones. Uh, you know, there's those two different schools of thought with dubbing. You can either try and match the lips or try and actually be faithful to the dialogue. And I think yeah. a lot of times they kind of took a middle route and did some of each, <laughs> yeah. which they can forced just give it an mass. absurd factor. Yeah. So yeah, so Kobayashi has to crash land on Iwato Island, Tsukioka goes to find him, and as they're there, they spot Godzilla, and uh, apparently at this point, his enemy, although later we know Godzilla and Anguirus become best friends. Um, yes! And Anguirus, and they're fighting, not quite to the death yet, but, you know, they're in a pretty big brawl, and then we cut back to Tokyo and find if, out if about I may. who they are. Sure, sure a couple things to say about this scene i like how it's kind of shot it's shot from like the ground level you don't see that good of glimpses of the monsters fighting and this is monster movie 101 right you don't want to reveal the monster too early and especially at this point Angris is a completely new character we've seen godzilla before but right like rodan and mothra had their solo movies before right. being incorporated into the godzilla cinematic universe i don't believe Angris did no, no, he uh, he appears here for the first time. And so I like that, but it's also like you can 
tell the guy you even in this scene you can tell the godzilla costume is not as good as it was in 54 a lot of that might be how it's shot because especially later on we do get a couple of scenes where things are sped up and it just doesn't look that good it doesn't look like it looks more like a costume than it did in 54 ishiro honda and Ishiro Honda did direct some of the lesser movies in the series, I believe. I think he might have directed, like, All Monsters Attack or something like that. Like, so he's been with the series at its highs and its lows, but... Yes. He knew in black and white how to shoot that costume and make it look not like a costume. Like, it, the 54 is exceedingly well done for what it is. And we see glimpses of it in the exposition scene when they when they watch the film. And it's 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 it's, it's literally just the film. It's edited, edited like the movie. They're supposed to be watching, like, footage of the Godzilla attack, but they were just watching a scene from right, the movie. Right, exactly, yes. I, I love, that's <laughs> one of my favorite little movie cliches. It's like... It, it's it's just it's yes funny. who, it who had who reality, had this exact yeah. point of view that we had yes <laughs> <laughs> because it's 12 different point of views it's like one of the all-time classic examples i think is in star trek 4 when kirk is on his doing his court martial because i think he stole a starship to go save spock in star trek 3 and at the court martial they're like let's review the evidence re- re- uh, captured from the actual enterprise and it's oh, like yes. these exterior shots of <laughs> yes, the they enterprise have the, they leaving. have the video like... footage of the enterprise blowing up yeah <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I always like. I mean, they do that obviously to save money and, oh, to, and to and to reuse the like great effects that they have. But I think there's several also Star Trek movies where the same exact shot of a Klingon bird of prey blowing up yes is, are used. Yeah, I think it's times. it's it's the climax of two movies in a row. I want to say yes. the, the same exact image of the, of the explosion. Yes, and it, it's a great explosion. But uh, yeah, I think you know when when you were just originally having people see these films in theaters, you could get away with it more because they couldn't go home and analyze it, you know, shot for shot. But now we can. <laughs> Oh, so, do- yes, by the way, Takashi Shimura's character is Dr. Yamane um, in yeah, both Godzilla right. and Godzilla Raids Again. So here's mm-hmm. where we get to him again. Tsukioka and Kobayashi go back to Osaka, which I think is interesting. You know, they're trying to not always have uh, the films be in Tokyo. So the Godzilla right. movies tend to move around between Tokyo, Osaka, and then several smaller Japanese Monster cities. Island. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, Monster Island. Um, I think Mothra attacks Nagoya, which is Japan's third largest city. I think the second Mechagodzilla movie takes place in Yakuska. Okay. Yeah. Um, which I bring up because my brother is about to be living there. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I like how they move them around. It's like, you know, in American films, New York and L.A. tend to get destroyed all the time. But, uh, you know. Well, it actually, it actually reminded me of, like, the... I haven't seen any of these movies, but, like, right, like, Olympus Has Fallen. It's Washington, D.C. Uh, there's at least one sequel to that. There's, like, uh, London Has Fallen. Yes. And I think maybe there's even another one maybe where he's in New York or something. There so might be. That's... I haven't seen those either, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so so they're in Osaka and they go to meet, you know, the authorities and Dr. Yamane. Oh, and they're in Osaka because that's where the tuna cannery is based. Right. So that's the film's explanation for why we're not in Tokyo this time. Also, Tokyo is presumably still in ruins from Godzilla having yeah, destroyed that's it six a good, months Yeah, that's earlier. a good point. Yeah, yeah, that was very, very yes. recently. Yes. Tokyo, the, the, <laughs> the capital of Japan, has probably since moved. Yes. <laughs> so... They, they get out a children's uh, dinosaur, illustrated dinosaur book by the look of it, and they flip through it. 
and they see an ankylosaur, turns out to be Anguirus, and then we, you know, ID Godzilla and Anguirus, and Dr. Yamane gives another warning. I wonder if this is a subtitle invention, because I know the image is, uh, just the image in the book is just Anguirus, right? But yes. Ankylosauruses, they have two defining features. They've got, like, that hard shell, mm-hmm. which Anguirus has, he just, it's spiky. Right. And then they've got that, like, battering ram of a tail, which yes. Anguirus does not have. No, he just has kind of a, a mace as a tail, right? It's just like a spiky end. He doesn't, yeah, yeah okay. there's no club part, but he does more have of a, like... More of a stegosaur. Yeah, yeah, he does have like more prominent spikes at the end of his tail. But yeah, he's That's not true, He's not yeah. very ankylosaurus. No. I also don't think ankylosaurs were like 200 feet tall like they, they claim. Well, them. yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? But but this is, I don't believe in the original Godzilla there was any confirmation. Of, there's never been a confirmation of what species Godzilla is, despite what the Roland Emmerich one tries to make us believe, that it's an iguana. Yes, yes. There's there's never, Godzilla's always just been a thing. I think they, they actually, I think in the 90s, they he's a Godzillasaurus, I think they say, which, you know, whatever. Mm. I mean, Godzilla's just, he's just like this prehistoric thing. We don't really know what he is, but he was probably a dinosaur. They say he lived at the time of Ankylosaurus or whatever. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly a mixture of different dinosaurs that they just kind of threw together. And then they actually tried Mm -hmm. to give Anguirus some real kind of provenance, but it doesn't really line up if you know much at all about dinosaurs. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so then basically a very similar thing happens as in the original Godzilla. They start preparing for Godzilla to come attack Osaka because Godzilla has this insatiable urge to destroy Japanese cities. Mm -hmm. Um, And they learn some things from the original. They know that Godzilla tends to pursue lights, so they have a a blackout enforced in Osaka. Mm -hmm. They try and lure him away with flares dropped from jets but then there's some escaped convicts that kind of <laughs> throw everything awry and would you Just like to explain American that style portion yes. of the film yeah you want to give your thoughts on the the convict scenes well yeah well i have a couple thoughts but first of all i i just i like the flare idea i like that we're using knowledge which was never spoken in the original like i mean he destroyed a city but i like that they're like oh no it's because he it's the lights that drove him nuts like we don't really get confirmation of that but i like you know we're taking something from the original and explaining it you know expanding the godzilla mythos if you it's true it's true and they actually (laughs) say in this one that they think it it's because it reminds him of the hydrogen bomb that woke him up. I, I, I like that yes. line. I like that because it's not soon after this that we kind of abandon all social commentary of the Godzilla series. So I like that there's still a tiny bit of that here. But I also I, I like the shot when they finally enforce the blackout because we have that scene at the dance club or the nightclub kind of thing. And then the announcement comes up and then like all the lights of the city go out. I like how all the cars turn off. Their I lights was going to say that cars just turn off their headlights <laughs> and still keep moving, <laughs> yes. which... I would have pulled over, but that's me. I also like that this is... um... I've always heard this, and I, I, you know more about Japanese culture than I do. You studied in Japan, I believe, right? Yes, uh, yeah, I spent there. I spent the summer of 2006 in Nagoya. Okay, but I've always heard, like, the Japanese culture is very much like a culture based on trust, and that certain, like, if something happens that throws off trust in a certain, like, let's say industry, that industry as a whole will just, like, take a dip. Like, uh, I, 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 I'm interested in roller coasters, so I had heard about, like, that there was, like, 
like a an accident that killed someone on a roller coaster in like maybe the late 90s early 2000s or something like that and since then like the amusement park industry in japan has been steadily going downhill so i don't know how much oh that's interesting uh, Hmm. i don't know how much of that is true or how much of that is just speculation but i like here that everyone every single person follows this order you know could you imagine like a a modern american version of this there's like some people saying like you can't take my right away to run my dishwasher and i'm gonna keep my lights on and like (laughs) it just wouldn't go over well yeah no no there would definitely be people who would just refuse to turn off their lights for the sake of it yeah yeah i think that's pretty pretty true about japan there's a lot of focus on uniformity in the culture there's a very famous japanese expression that the nail that stands out gets hammered down okay yeah so i I could see them although i don't know if everybody would turn off their lights at the exact same second instantly (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) but but anyways back to the convicts you mentioned the convicts this scene the the escape convict scene because they escape from like a prison transport vehicle right yes adds nothing to the plot but i think it's genius too because i think it is a perfect way as we follow these convicts around to give us a grounds eye view of godzilla in this scene i i because otherwise i don't know it gives us that kind of interesting where we're not just seeing godzilla attack models but we're seeing you know godzilla stand from the point of view of, of like the ground level mm-hmm. attacking here and there and I, I just think that's really neat one, one of my favorite parts of the whole sequence actually is after the i mean the, the there is some purpose to it right because the convicts are the ones that accidentally draw godzilla back to osaka because yes that's true. they drive their truck into an oil refinery and it explodes at which point you would think they'd use that opportunity to you know just well, the convicts are all dead now. It's not a problem. But we find out later that the convicts have actually survived this massive explosion. Yes. <laughs> to only to get drowned in a, a submerged subway line when it gets flooded. I like that a lot, too, because that's... Um... This, I don't think overall, like I mentioned earlier, just the costume looks better in 54. Then maybe the models look better and stuff. Like the effects just kind of looked better in 54 mm. or, or were probably just shot better. I mean, it, it can be as simple as that, right? But in this movie, I like that they use a lot of different techniques and that the where the, the flooding of the subway was actually an interesting effect. I mean, it doesn't look great, but they combined two shots. They combined the shots of the guys running down the subway and then they kind of put over it a shot of the water coming in. So some kind of like post-production trickery i don't want to call it like a visual effect so much because it's still an in-camera effect but the Mm -hmm. editing is kind of what brings that together yeah definitely i mean i tend to give them a lot of credit for what they were able to pull off oh i agree at the time you know i mean it's a creative movie yeah yeah and if you think about the fact that you know japan had only lost world war ii less than 10 years before this movie came out right you know it's pretty impressive how they were even able to pull you know, this off when the country was still rebuilding. Right. And that this is the, and and not just you say this, but like just generally speaking, this is the golden age of Japanese cinema because this Kurosawa's doing his thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, so it was just like a huge era in, I guess, Japanese culture. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the post-war period was a, a very kind of formative time for Japan leading up to today. But yeah, there was a lot going on. I think the rebuilding in a lot of ways, you know, that obviously changed the country, but you could say the same for a lot of different places. You know, the fact that they had to totally rebuild and reinvent their society and their country uh, led to a lot of 
interesting creative things yeah because japan uh, there's that joke in um back to the future part three that i always think of where doc brown is like looking at a piece from the time machine because it's doc brown from 1955 and he's like oh what do you expect this is made in japan and then then marty's like what are you talking about doc all the best stuff is made in japan yes yeah definitely like in the 80s you have like especially in the especially in the late 80s yeah definitely all right so our convicts you know caused Godzilla to return to Osaka because, like I said, they set off this massive industrial fire, which kind of totally negates the whole blackout, draws Godzilla back to Osaka, and Anguirus shows up because apparently even though Godzilla is chasing the lights away, Anguirus is following them. So they end up having two monsters in the city instead of just the one, Mm -hmm. which leads to, you know, double the destruction. Uh, So they have a, a big fight fight to the death actually it's one of the this is where we get this scene even before the fight we get a lot more like close-ups of godzilla and stuff in the face and the, it's a lot of like a rougher costume it's it's like more i don't know how to he's just not as smooth he's not really scaly he's almost like rocky yeah but yeah how do you feel about the godzilla overbite mm, that's interesting <laughs> i think yeah. it makes him look incredibly silly and kind of it, it does i think it makes him in, if we're comparing him to like later godzillas that have you know, they appeared to have gone to the orthodontist as well because Godzilla, you know, has the overbite, but he also has the <laughs> teeth kind of sticking out in all sorts of directions. Yes, and and then he's also got the, um, like, w- his eyes are way too big once we get to the 70s. He's, like, kind of almost like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say he's goofy looking in the later ones. And this, I think... He's menacing in kind of a deformed way, maybe. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think the teeth is a bit too much. Teeth make him look a little stupid. He's got some, like, buck teeth kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, I, I do like the, just the roughness of his look overall. I, I do like that. Yeah, and I think Angerus looks quite good as well. There are some pro- He's definitely smoother also in the later movies. You can kind of see the, the patchwork uh-huh. of his shell in this one. It's a little uh-huh. too uniform, and you can kind of see seams in his spikes. Yeah, overall, I mean, I think they're pretty good costumes. There's also two different versions of each, right? Because they've got, like, the close-up Muppet yes. uh, hand puppet version, and then they've got the full yes. body suits. Yeah, well, when you see the Angerus costume in full, when, you know, it's just, it's an actor walking on, like, fours. It, it yes. looks a little silly. It, yeah, but it yeah. also gives him kind of an unnatural movement that I kind of like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's a little silly. He kind of, Angerus is kind of adorable in this movie. He reminds me of, like, a dog. He's just kind of, like, you want to pet him, like, yeah. except your hand would yes. fall off because he's all <laughs> Yeah, so the full costume, you can kind of tell. There's one scene when Godzilla, like, pushes him over. You can you can kind of tell that the actor's head is, like, in the lower part of the neck. And then so the rest is, the rest of the head is, I don't know if that's puppetry or if it's literally nothing when they're shooting the full costume. I, I think it's got to be something because the mouth moves a little bit. Mm, and then obviously yeah. the close-ups, it, it's just like, it's. I mean, it's a better version of, like, a sock puppet, like you were kind of saying. Yeah, definitely like a rubber rubber sock puppet that can shoot, you know steam or whatever it is they're using for the godzilla's irradiated breath yeah the uniformity i think looks better than in the original godzilla because in the original godzilla the the sock puppet costume and the full body costume are very different looking uh the actual like appearance of the face remember that yeah in this one oh oh i'm like when he picks up the train and stuff yes yeah yeah yeah. in this one okay i think they at least look more similar so it doesn't seem like you're 
seeing a totally different creature. I think that's probably accurate, yeah. I think that's true. Any more thoughts on the costumes? The type of person that you have to be to be a Godzilla fan. A silly costume is not going to throw you off. No, no. If you're here for the Godzilla series, you embrace the silly costume. Right, I'm just kind right. of pointing out, I think, 54, they shot these things better. Well, this this thing, because it's one Godzilla, right? But uh, it's one monster. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't think there's as much skill in the filmmaking, but, yeah, I, yeah. you know, it's... <laughs> it's a fun movie still. <laughs> yeah. And w- one of the reasons we uh, get better Angerist costumes in the future is obviously because they actually just end up torching this one, right? So Godzilla defeats <laughs> yeah. defeats Angerus in their fight, and then he burns the body with his radiated breath. And they clearly actually just set the costume on fire and filmed it. And, oh God, this scene too, when, when the two of them are fighting, because it's a fun fight, and they end up at the... Um the what do they call it? the it's, osaka yeah, castle yeah yeah osaka castle yeah right it's a beautiful building beautiful model of the building that fight is so much fun because th- it's these two monsters fighting these two guys in costumes fighting but there's also explosions constantly around them and i think some of them effects wise were like what they did with the the water mm, uh, the flood yeah. covering them because I, I think a lot of them s- seem to be like different shots that they kind of not splicing isn't the right word but they kind of put over the existing shot but some of the explosions are like i think they're real or they're really there and it like makes it makes me kind of fear for the guy especially in the godzilla costume it's like it looks like he's gonna catch on fire and the godzilla costume of course has caught on fire before i mean yes yes it's in one of well, the movies later after, so later it will yeah, we later, haven't learned but... their lesson yet in the filming but yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which which movie is that do you remember no i i don't actually yeah i don't either but the godzilla head catches on fire i know in uh in godzilla one of the most amazing Mechagodzilla, stunts. the 1974 one yeah i think his shoulder briefly catches on fire but there is a more famous scene where he gets more of an actual fire burning yeah. on his head yes i don't remember well, there, which one there's also in. like and the, the costume at that point has been through so much because it's been different costumes but at a certain point they're reusing the same one like you can see like the arms falling apart in yes i think it's gigan godzilla versus Gigan. <laughs> they go through a few and you can always tell by like the last film that whichever particular suit is in that it's kind of at the end of its days <laughs> yeah. god they're great though but this is a fun fight scene and this is something too that i complain about I, th- I guess this is more of a case in the later godzilla movies because it's not really the case here but godzilla is this He's this giant dinosaur that breathes fire. He's a giant non-flying dragon, basically. Yes, that breathes irradiated fire, not just yes, regular irradiated fire. Yes, irradiated fire. Which it's like a double threat. Yeah, well, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> in, in in so many of the movies, he basically just fights like a person. He like throws punches. Mm-hmm, yes. Especially in like the 70s, because the 70s, as much as I like those movies, those are probably some of the silliest ones. Those are like... Yeah, he definitely gets personified more in the later ones. Well, yeah. And that's because they're more and more for kids at a certain point. But it's also, I, part of me thinks they just stopped caring too a bit. But I like in, in this, he uses his teeth. He he bites That's true, yeah, he yeah. He, Godzilla, he's this giant T-Rex, and he doesn't seem to do that in most of the movies. Yeah, he he kills Angerus actually by, by biting his neck until he bleeds out, which is quite gruesome, really. And there aren't mm-hmm. a lot of scenes in the Godzilla movies where they actually show blood. It's more They're common. both involving Angerus. Yeah, Because Angerus gets his face shredded by, by uh, Gigan's yeah, by Mechagod- buzzsaw. Oh, yes, and also Mechagodzilla rips his tongue out, and he bleeds all over the place. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, poor- he gets Poor, stomped. Poor Angerus. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Angerus takes the most 
most abuse in the series, at least, it, or the most graphic abuse, anyways. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, so he, he kills Angerus by biting his neck till he bleeds out, and then he burns the body. <laughs> really unceremonially, too. It's it's quite a sad end for Angerus, although... It is, because Angerus really is adorable. Like, he's, he's just the something, like I said, kind of dog-like about him, and, and it's just, I don't know, I like yeah. him. Yeah, I've, he's always been one of my favorites. I know you you don't particularly care for King Caesar. Uh, oh the no, other, well, the love, other very dog-like. I love but. King Caesar for um, the tremendous disappointment that he is because there's this big. He's got a hype song, and That's we're like right. building up to him. And they're talking and about him the de- entire movie. Yeah, and he's defeated in like five seconds. Yes. I do love that. He's I, fairly King useless. Caesar is, is is just an elaborate joke to me, but. Angerus is, uh, he's kind of, he's never stood out to me as one of my favorites. Part, I mean, visually, he looks pretty cool. He's interesting, but he doesn't really have any special abilities. He's just like a four-legged tank kind of thing. And honestly, at least in this movie, I don't remember about the other ones, he doesn't use his, he should be a defensive monster. He should force Godzilla to attack and then kind of use his spiky shell yes. to defend himself. And he doesn't really do that. So I, I think it's, it was a poor game plan all around mm, by Andrews yeah. heading yes. into this fight. Which is especially concerning because they, they point out earlier in the film how he has this weird brain distributed all around his body. Yeah, so. that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. He clearly is not as intelligent as they fear he is <laughs> at the beginning. Well, well, they say that they don't say that enhances in, his intelligence. In the subtitles, they say that enhances his agility or something like that. It makes oh, him yes, more he agile. Can, he can move faster or something. Which, yes. he, it's it's a person on on his hands and knees in a How costume. agile He's can not he be? very yes. agile, exactly. No. <laughs> Back to the, the plot, I guess. This giant fight between them destroys Osaka, much like Tokyo is destroyed in the first film, which leads us to the third act where the characters all have to go to a different location. And they end up going north to Hokkaido, which is Japan's fourth main island and the northernmost of the four, and also the one that's kind of known for being the most rugged the most north america like people tend to say because it involves a lot of canada of japan yeah the canada or like maybe montana if you're wanting to use the u.s example of of japan because it has a lot of wide open wheat fields and plains and it's pretty sparsely populated japan wise um a lot of people go there on skiing trips and stuff okay sure so all the characters have to go north to Hokkaido because it hasn't been destroyed and because they can work for the fishing company's other branch that's up there. And yeah, that leads us to the kind of subplot with Kobayashi looking for a bride and uh, the scene in the izakaya. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk any more about that that we discussed earlier? Yeah, so I, I did mention this to you before we recorded, but a huge missed opportunity with this movie um, especially looking back at the original and seeing how well done it is from a character perspective with Yamane and Yamane's future son-in-law and then Serizawa and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. This movie really waits until the second half to have any characterization. And I think that's a, just a really unfortunate because we don't get it until this scene. This is about 40 minutes in or so. Yeah, and I had mentioned that Tsukioka and uh, Kobayashi are war buddies, but we don't actually find that out until the scene in the izakaya. Like, the izakaya is a Japanese bar or pub, traditional, that's uh, the word for it. Because they meet their war buddy pilot friends in the bar. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how we find out kind of the origin story of Tsukioka and Kobayashi. Um, You know, why they're pilots, why they're 
you know, friends. We get a little bit here with the girlfriend, too, who is, an, like Yamane's daughter in the original, is underwritten, but... We, you know, we get a little bit with her. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember which of the two she's dating because I these characters there's so little to them that I can't really remember them. which one's which. Tsukiyoka is played by Hiroshi Koizumi, who he's a regular in a lot of the Japanese films. I guess okay. it's something worth pointing out. The Japanese film studios used the same system that the old Hollywood system used in the U.S. Where people are tied to studios. Yeah, the, the actors actually work for the studios rather than being contracted okay, yeah. to work in films. Right. So we see a lot of the same Toho Studios actors in a lot of the Godzilla films, although they usually aren't playing the same characters. Obviously, Takashi Shimura is playing the same Professor Yamane in both these. So do we have any Kurosawa regulars in this movie then? Because he was Toho as well. Mm, Well, Takashi Shimura would be one, yeah, because he was in, like I said, he's in Seven Samurai. He's in some other other Kurosawa films too. One of Kurosawa's go-tos was always Toshiro Mifune. Yes, he's the lead in Yojimbo. Yes, yeah, he's in a lot of famous, particularly samurai film from this era, but he never Mm -hmm. actually appears in any Godzilla films, which is kind of a sad... That's disappointing. Yes, yeah, Yeah. I wish he had. (laughs) He could have brought a lot. He probably could have taken Godzilla on -on -on. one-on-one. One-on-one if you've seen Yojimbo. Yeah, so Kobayashi, he's the more comic of the two, at least in the dubbed version that I grew up with, but in this film, (laughs) he's actually the more sad melancholy because his whole goal is to find a, a wife... And then he ends up, obviously, um, I don't think this is a spoiler considering the movie's, you know, 70 years old at this point, but he ends up dying at the end. Uh, You know, he has a girlfriend or at least somebody that he's interested in, but that plot never goes anywhere. You know, I grew up thinking of him kind of as this comic relief and yeah, and then he turns into this sad melancholy melancholy character that gives his life to defeat Godzilla. And and is he the one early on too that was like, um, the woman's talking to him and and she's like, wow, Dr. Yamani said you were so proud of your bravery and he's like, oh, come on, I'm not brave and like no that's that's sukioka oh that's the other one yeah so sukioka sukioka's uh engaged to hidemi who is the the tuna cannery's daughter right and then kobayashi's their friend and he he there's that weird scene too where kobayashi comes to hidemi and asks her how he can get a, a wife and she tells him she needs to he needs to buy her a handbag and a watch and (laughs) I always enjoyed that scene because it's very materialistic. Okay, that's what that was. Because with things like that, I'm I'm never certain if there's like a cultural barrier, you know, between... No, I don't don't think so. Yeah, that leads to that great scene in the Izakaya where we've got the two parties going on. We've got the War Buddies party and then the Tuna Canneries party. And then that scene ends abruptly because we find out that Godzilla destroyed one of the company's fishing boats. Mm -hmm. And that leads us to kind of the, the... climax of the film where we have Tsukiyoka and Kobayashi getting their planes to go out and help find Godzilla. They spot him near a different small island. Godzilla has some love of tiny islands, you know, it's he starts out at Odo Island in the first film, then he's, you know, That's right, two yeah. different small islands here and the he goes to Monster and Island. And Odo Island, Island seems eventually. huge compared to the the two featured in this. Movie. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the American one he goes to Manhattan. There's something about small islands that seem Which, to attract oh, oh, Godzilla. Oh, the 98. Uh, the yeah, yeah, the one. American I, I 98 thought, I thought you meant the American, like, dub. And oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like in the 98. 
<laughs> Godzilla. They're like, we need him on the island. Don't let him leave the island. I'm like, what? It's the most densely populated place in the United States. You want him to leave. <laughs> you absolutely want him to leave this island. There's a lot of um, a lot of funny things in that film, but I suppose that's for another day. That would be another... <laughs> You know, whether it's a Godzilla film or not, you know, I guess technically it is, but... Um, you know. <laughs> it's it's a monster film, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the film kind of comes to a pretty abrupt climax and conclusion. The Japanese Self-Defense Force joins Tsukioka and Kobayashi in bombing the island. Like I said, Kobayashi doesn't want Godzilla to escape, so he ends up flying near him. Godzilla hits Kobayashi's plane with his radiation breath. He crashes into the kind of glacier on the island, which causes the ice to pour down onto Godzilla, and that's what gives the Air Force the idea, mm-hmm. rather than actually trying to kill Godzilla with the bombs, which are, as usual, totally ineffective. Right. That they can actually just bomb the island itself and cause an avalanche to encase him in the ice. Mm-hmm. And that's what ends up happening. And then we don't actually get any conclusion at all, no denouement at all with any of the characters. Right. Godzilla gets encased in ice, uh, and the film abruptly ends. I particularly, I think I was struck with how quickly it ends. Compared to a lot of the other Godzilla films, they tend to at least try to have some final message or wrap up what's going mm-hmm. on with the lives of the characters. But yeah, we're kind of just left with this is how it ends. Godzilla's encased in ice, which <laughs> I assume you'll at some point in the future be doing King Kong versus Godzilla. And that's what leads yes, us to Godzilla. That's coming up later this season. Godzilla being encased in an iceberg in that film at the beginning. It's because he gets you know, encased in ice at the end yeah, of the Yeah, I forgot film. that there's continuity, I guess. Yes, well, I had yeah. seen that, that I'd seen King Kong versus Godzilla probably a couple dozen times before I ever saw Godzilla Rates again, so I probably never really made the connection. Yeah, so they at least attempted to make a, you know, a clean continuity from how Godzilla appears again in that third film. They need they need to do a direct sequel to this where he, like, wakes up in the 22nd century or something and may do, like, an Austin Powers thing. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, they could do like a retcon or any kind of like alternate reality as are the rage these days. They could have, you know, a different iteration of what could have happened to this Godzilla. So, Sean, what did you think of Godzilla Raids again? Particularly this Criterion version. And they, they are not, by the way, sponsoring me or no. this podcast in any way. But I was particularly <laughs> impressed with the Criterion uh, version of the film. They did a good job cleaning up the actual footage. I don't it know if they good, went back yeah. to the negatives and uh, you know restored it from there, or if they just found a pretty clean earlier version. But they definitely have some good footage. Like I said, they did a great job with the subtitles. Uh, they're accurate as far as my kind of middling Japanese goes. I could tell that okay. they were at least being fairly faithful to it. And like I said, I was particularly impressed with how they actually subtitled the song lyrics, which is very unusual, but I I thought that was interesting, even though you didn't particularly care for it. Well, I liked it in the one scene. I didn't like it at the bar because it was just kind of like the one line they translated. Yes. And we get to the character dialogue. And the, and we never hear that kind more of, of the song. Weird. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean, yeah. What were your thoughts on the film? Well, when I reached out to you about doing this episode, I was kind of surprised to hear that you said that you always really liked this one as, as a Godzilla movie. Because it, I, I didn't remember much about it. I kind of thought it was one of the weaker entries. or Weaker as in not necessarily one of the worst, because it gets pretty bad with a lot of the 60s and 70s ones. But even the really bad ones are oftentimes very entertaining. Uh, like once we get Jet Jaguar, all that stuff, like that stuff's just wonderful schlock. And this isn't that. This is 
so so I kind of remembered this sort of being like a middle ground between schlock Godzilla and like the original like ultra mm-hmm, serious. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's a lot closer to the original in tone than I remembered it. It's 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 a better movie than I remembered it. it it's just better done. There's a lot of impressive work with the effects some new kind of trickery in in delivering those effects but even just the models themselves the models look probably just as good as they did in the original i mentioned the costume for the most part i think looks worse or at least is shot worse and it's shot in a less convincing way but yeah i liked this movie i think the biggest things for me are the no real attention to characters until the second half is is a missed opportunity um, especially like looking back at the original, I wouldn't call that a character-driven movie by any means, but it's very well written from a character perspective at least. Right, right. And then I think the other one too is that the movie peaks too early. The Godzilla Angerus uh, Osaka Castle fight is the best scene of the movie, and I would have liked that. Right, it would be... work better as a climax rather than right. kind of kind of fairly. Exactly. I think even before the halfway point of the film is when we. It's get right to around it. the. It's right around the halfway point. It's 35, 40, Well. 35 this is like an hour 20 minute movie it's kind of a short movie so maybe about 40 minutes in or so right 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 yeah i think those are kind of the missed opportunities i also think i mean this movie isn't as serious there's not as much meaningful message in this movie as in the original i think of like in the because we get a similar scene here that that we do to the original where after that angerous fight we see a little bit of the devastation of osaka but we don't really see people suffering and that and that to me is one of the standouts of the original when you see like these just buildings that have just been converted to become hospitals and you see right. these, like crying children it's it, and then the scene with the crying or the singing children in the church it's like that stuff is like just devastating it like rips your heart out in a way that it, nothing in this movie approaches that yeah that's definitely true but i but i do think most of the negative things i have to say are comparing it to an original that is a masterpiece i think on this movie's own terms it is pretty good it's pretty entertaining it's i don't think it's great but i liked it well shall we go on to killing american style okay so killing american style 1988 available on tubi and i'm gonna say right off the bat i encourage you to watch this movie it's no samurai cop it's not as entertaining or funny as some other bad movies i've seen but it is it has its moments um this is an amir shervan film we've we mentioned Amir Shervan at the outset, the director of Samurai Cop, of Young Rebels, of Hollywood Cop, of Gypsy, which I haven't seen. I don't know if you have. Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, so he directed a couple movies that I haven't seen, but you know, three movies that I enjoy very much as just all-time classic bad movie, uh, bad, good bad movies. And so Amir Shervan, I, th- I think he's Iranian. Yes. He, he actually made a film in Iran before okay. he came to the U.S., I, I'm willing to bet that's 10 times more or 10 times better than anything he's done here because a lot of the magic of Amir Shervan is he seemed he's trying to make an American action movie and doesn't seem to really understand American action movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, this one, I think, is probably a better a better recreation than Hollywood Cop or Samurai Cop. Certainly than Sam- Samurai Cop is just awful. I mean, it's wonderful. Yeah, this is uh, this is what I would like to call uh, meathead action. 
it's um there's you know there's different types of actions you have your like adventure focused you know your indiana jones the mummy with brendan fraser movies like that you've got your you've got your kind of like everyman action where it's just like a normal guy thrust into spectacular situation i.e die hard you know uh these aren't really action movies but i mean that's like the original harry potter is basically that if you will Mm, it's true yeah i think this movie probably would have been better if it went more the normal everyman route because the main character in this movie i think should be an everyman and he just isn't like even just looking at him He's just, when his ridiculous outfits and his terrible, like, ponytail thing, ponytail yeah. slash mullet, I think he might wear it a couple different ways during the movie. Um, but he's he's just a dumb meathead. And the meathead action movies sometimes can be very entertaining, but meathead action movies, in my eyes, are, are movies that their essential core message is that violence solves all problems. And so I'm thinking movies like Roadhouse, mm. movies like Commando, which are far better done than this, obviously. Yes. Like, those are movies where it's just like, morality doesn't matter. These are just movies about big, muscly guys punching people. Or shooting people (laughs) sometimes. Yes, yeah, yeah. I was reading a little bit about the cast in this film. So the the main characters... (laughs) Played by Harold Diamond, who apparently he's well known for bringing kickboxing uh, or increasing the popularity of kickboxing. Okay, good for him. Well, Harold Diamond has actually, I didn't realize this until I looked at the cast after I had seen the movie. Harold Diamond has been in, has been featured in a film that we've done on this podcast before. Not only that, he's been featured in a film that we paired with a Godzilla film before. He is, he plays the character of Jade in the Andy Sidaris action movie Picasso Trigger. Oh, Which he's also. I didn't know about going in. <laughs> he's also in Hard Ticket to Hawaii. He's the second. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he's in Andy Sidaris. Well, yes. he. I believe he plays the same character because those movies are all. Oh, they're all in the they, same they universe. All, okay. A lot of them, yeah, a lot of characters. Repeat. I haven't seen. A, I haven't seen a lot of them. Um, I okay, think once, well, if you've seen one, they're all they're all very slim. Fairly they similar, are all the same. You could say so the far, same about Amir Shervin's films as well. Yes. <laughs> so far, I will say because I've seen. Probably five or six Andy Sedaris movies. Picasso Trigger is my least favorite of the ones I've seen. Hard Ticket to Hawaii is incredible. Savage Beach is great. Guns, I, I enjoyed that one a lot. Uh, I want to say Danny Trejo's in that. Okay, like, I've only I've only seen the first two. I've seen Malibu Express and uh, Malibu Express. Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Too. Yeah, and Ma- Malibu Express, the main character in that is in um, Picasso Trigger as well. I remember okay. he's uh, Maybelline. We always we joked about it. We called him Maybelline in the other one, but yeah. So Harold Diamond is in this movie. He was in Picasso Trigger. He's in Hard Ticket to Hawaii. We get a couple other notable genre stars, and that's obviously the great Robert Zadar, who is what? What did they say in, in uh, Mr. Science Theater three thousand? They refer to him as a catcher's mitt with eyes at one <laughs> yes, point. Yes, because yes. he has the most uniquely shapen face. Yes. He you if you don't know who this is, you have to just like look him up. He is the weirdest looking person. He's a cult legend in his own way. He's this action star. He's in Samurai Cop. He's in this. He's in he's in the he's the titular Maniac Cop in the Maniac Cop movies, yes, which I yes. rather enjoyed the first two of those. And then he's he's also in like you just mentioned, he's in two episodes of Mystery Science Theater, which is actually yeah, where Soul I Taker. first encountered him. Yeah, Soul Taker right, and too. Future War. Oh, I forgot I forgot Yeah, he's the Yes, he's the <laughs> cyborg. He's the cyborg in Future It's War. mostly his stunt double in Future War, but he is in Future <laughs> War technically yes. speaking. Yes. Yeah. Most shocking of all, we get NFL legend 
Jim Brown. Yes. <laughs> he must have had a mortgage payment to make, although I really can't imagine that Amir Sherbin paid too much. I actually no, recently, I, either. I recently watched, uh, I have the Blu-ray of Samurai Cop, and I watched the commentary on it with the lead actor, and he said okay. something like he got paid a daily rate of like $200, and he's the star of the film. I can't imagine... That I mean, maybe Jim Brown was was collecting a lot extra just because of his name and recognition, because he's not he a very main character. Been. I think he's he's got to be top build, but he's only in a handful of scenes. Most of them are shot in a day. Most of his scenes are at his desk. But yeah, it's amazing though. This is like what's the equivalent to this? Jim Brown, up until you know Tom Brady has now won what six or seven Super Bowls. Jim Brown was kind of consensusly the greatest football player ever for a long period of time. Yeah. And he also had a long acting career of, of legitimate. Yeah, films. he's he's not he's not an unaccomplished actor. He was a relatively no. big star in kind of like the black exploitation films of like the seventies and stuff. Yep, he was in the Dirty Dozen, uh, a very That's well right. known yeah, World that was, War II I think, film I think from the late sixties. Might have even been during his playing career. Yeah, with Donald Sutherland and mm-hmm. Lee Marvin, and I think Charles Bronson's in that. Yep, and then here he is in Killing American Style. <laughs> yes, this like I'm thinking of the equivalent of this, and it's like, is this like this is like if Michael Jordan was in the room? probably yes yes yeah yeah (laughs) it's it's really shocking to think that amir shervan the guy that made samurai cop had jim brown in a movie and especially too because amir shervan willing to bet he doesn't know who the hell jim brown is is certainly as a football player probably not probably not yeah (laughs) so so he doesn't he doesn't even realize who he's working with. He's no, working with no. like a living legend. Yeah. I, I do recommend if you can get the Blu-ray for Samurai Cop, the quality of the footage is amazing again because they actually restored it from the originals. Um, but the commentaries are really good too and I, I found them really interesting. Apparently Amir Sherbin was really, really good at just BSing his way into things. It, that's probably true of a lot of like really low budget filmmakers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's true of like Roger Corman. Like Roger Corman, I just learned from a, an episode of The Last Drive In with Joe Bob Briggs. He made the movie Humanoids from the Deep, which is a movie about alien sea monster things that rape and kill women and it's like the the filthiest movie you've ever seen from 1980 and yet he got like legitimate stars in that movie and supposedly it was because he went up to them and lied to them about the name of the movie that he was making right 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 gave him a different script or something like that yeah so i could imagine uh amir shervin somehow getting jim brown by like bsing to him about what the film actually was and i mean but His even, scenes are mostly unconnected with the other ones. Right, they so. are. But maybe not even, because I don't think the uh, substance of this movie is that unlike a movie that James, that, not James Brown, that Jim Brown would have made. It's really hmm. just the execution is just so bad. Because this is just a basic action movie. This is actually kind of a remake of, there was like a 50s, like a film noir. I can't remember the name of it, but it had some like big stars. Like, I can't, maybe Sinatra was in it or something, but it's a movie about like um, these like escaped convicts break into a home and just like take people hostage and stuff. So it's like the the actual like, yes, substance Yes, pretty much the exact same movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, maybe I'm screwing that up because I'm just thinking of this movie. I don't know. But like the substance 
is not exactly like a cult thing. Like some some movies are are destined to be cult movies right, just by right. like what they're about. Like think of the movie like Basket Case, a movie about a guy whose Siamese twin brother is this twisted lump of flesh that goes around killing people. Like that's going to be a cult movie. You're not going to be able to cast an A-lister <laughs> in that movie just from the premise alone. But some movies just kind of become culty or exploitationy in just their execution, and I think that's the case here. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if you just had a very bare bones plot synopsis of this film it would sound like 150 other 1980s uh action movies with a good director and a good writer this could have been a a a good movie i mean you you have to use your imagination a bit yes (laughs) but but it's a possibility (laughs) so anyways killing american style opens with the character of lynch they call him John Lynch at one point. The actor's name is John Lynch. This is the only movie he's in, so I don't know what <laughs> what the deal was. <laughs> was he that bad of an actor that they had to refer to him as his real name? Who knows? In a low-budget movie like this, it's a possibility. But he is auditioning strippers at this strip club, and it's like, okay, so right off the bat, we kind of know what movie we're getting. Yes, yeah. They, it's, <laughs> it, is, it is not subtle, is it? No, it's a sleazy movie, although we don't actually see any nudity in the stripper's audition. It's not until Lynch goes into the women's dressing room and has right. sex with the uh, stacked blonde featured. Who, yes, who, the, who, the, the stripper who stripper. he chose. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and then if, and I would also like to point out too, with Lynch's just appearance, this guy looks like a porn star. Oh, definitely. He, he's also, uh, you know, the recurring theme of mustaches seems to be coming up in today's yeah. podcast. But yeah, his he's got a certain Miami Vice 1980s mustache and yes. slicked well, back And even the way he dresses, too, in, in the raid on the ice cream parking lot, the ice cream truck parking lot, he's wearing no shirt and just like a denim sleeveless vest and then just <laughs> jeans. It's, it's, it's like a porno outfit in a way. Oh, yeah. He's having sex. He's interrupted by Tony, played by the great Robert Zadar, who comes in to get his attention because they're about to do this raid on, like I said, the ice cream yeah, we're parking we're going to have to go into detail about this particular crime. Well, the, I mean, the scene is, is interesting, but, uh, like, first thing I want to focus on is the location. I don't know where this was imagined to be, but this is shot at, like, a, um, a basically a junkyard, but it's just, like, we see these, like, ice cream trucks over yeah. and over again. So it's I don't like know an, if this is I, like... I think it's an ice cream truck graveyard, really. It's... Yeah, because it, it does have a junkyard feel where I don't think these are active ice cream trucks, but they are all ice cream trucks it's weird right right (laughs) but there's a there's a main building and so they get in tony and his men uh which is looney some guy that looks like he doesn't belong in in a criminal gang he's just some kind of like blonde guy and lynch and they get in they're led in by a security guard some guy who i guess they've paid off and then they get into this building which is like one of those like administrative buildings that you would see on like a construction site it looks like it's on the inside it looks like it's like a converted like trailer or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and they have they have posters for different brands of beer and stuff inside. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very odd place of business for this. <laughs> but this whatever this business is, they have it's something's going on here cuz they've got like three cops on scene. That's mm-hmm. security guards, they're cops. It's security guards outside, it's cops inside. And so they take the cops and they go up to the guy who's sitting at his desk and they say like give us the money. 
And this guy, this guy is the least threatened-looking person in this scene. It looks <laughs> like he just—he's just collecting a paycheck. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. He—he he does not act like he has several guns pointed at him at any given moment, and he just like happily gives them the money. They don't even check. It's—it's a sack of money, of course. Yeah, the sack of money in a, in a desk drawer, isn't it? In a desk drawer. It's not in a safe. You can imagine this when this was written. This was supposed to be in a safe, <laughs> but they just didn't have one. <laughs> and then this scene is our introduction to something that. That is a recurring issue in this movie, and it's one of those kind of B-movie things that it might not sound great on paper, but when you watch it, it's kind of magical. And that this movie is awful with spatial relations. You think you know where someone is, and then you don't realize that they're actually in this other place. Because there's there's two moments in this movie that really stand out for that but this this is definitely one of them and it's the security guards outside the security guard that let them in goes up to the other security guards and says hey i think something's going on i think people are inside but so they go in they're in this like almost like a garage and then they're yelling at a door and then it's like oh wait they're they're at the door they're outside the door that the other people are at like you didn't you don't realize they're like in the same building well yeah and who knows if they actually were when they were filming i'm sure right? they weren't but, <laughs> but again that's kind of the magic of amir shervan uh because that's a huge issue in samurai cop someone can leave one room in a house and enter a completely different house that you can t- just tell from the decor is a different house it's right by right. someone who's 30 years older or something yes like that. yes <laughs> those security guards get shot and then as everyone's running away some guy in a suit sees the security guard who set this thing all up fire two bullets into the sky i guess to make it look like he tried to stop them you know that he had used bullets but because he's seen doing that he gets called in for questioning right and he gets arrested and he gives away the location of tony and so the cops have a raid on tony's home while he's having sex with a woman i i don't want to see robert zadar in in this scenario i just don't i'm sorry (laughs) i don't i don't know if it's the only scene i've seen or the only movie where i've seen robert zadar in a sex scene but this is it's not pleasant no there's 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 one in samurai cop too does he have one in samurai cop i remember the um the kind of the portly japanese guy has one (laughs) yes no he has there's there's well there it's kind of a recurring theme in all of uh amir sherman's films it's just random drawn out sex scenes but yes uh there's definitely one in samurai cop too but anyways cops show up robert zadar tony realizes what's going on he sneaks out he's thankfully wearing pants at this point uh he shoots a few cops and then he gets arrested and then the cops go to get lynch the uh, the retired porn star or whatever he is lynch is at a restaurant which i could be mistaken i think it's the same restaurant as featured in samurai cop with the gay waiter i'm pretty certain it is yes it looked i think he's in the same corner booth or whatever that um where were the these these i'm telling these sons of bitches monologue the yes arguably the greatest scene of samurai cop i, I would probably say it's my favorite so the cops confront him. They're saying, like, hey, we're, we're, you're under arrest. Anyways, he fights the cop, and then a couple other cops come in, and, or he kind of escapes into a different dimension because he goes into this. He, suddenly he's in the same room, I think, where they had the stripping auditions. The color temperature of the film is completely different. It, it does not, going back to the location thing, it, it, these two rooms are not connected in any way. It's just such a bizarre way to shoot this. It looks wrong, it's jarring, and it's kind of funny. But he's arrested. 
At some point, we meet Jim Brown. I, do we meet him? Do we meet him after the escape? I can't remember. I honestly don't remember either. But uh, while we're on the subject of locations, Jim Brown's office is also the office where one of the shootouts occurs in Samurai Cop. I thought so. And I believe I, wasn't I believe that um, in the commentary for Samurai Cop, they actually said that that's actually Amir Shervan's office. So he yes. uses his yeah, own okay. office as an office in his films. Yeah. No, I, I, I have not seen the, the Samurai Cop Blu-ray. The I have not heard the commentary track. I have seen the Red Letter Media interview with. Yes, the there's star a lot of, of a lot of the same info is in both of them. Yeah, this movie's lacking those kinds of pieces of magic of Samurai Cop. Like Samurai Cop is obviously a movie that had so many reshoots. You know, you notice it with the wig, yes. with the um, close-ups. Uh, like even in the restaurant scene, they're at the restaurant and they show these reaction shots of the black partner, and he's just he's in like a house, and he's in right, Amir right. Shervan's house, I'm sure, but like he right. he's very well, clearly even, not in even, the same room. Even the speech that you were talking about earlier that yes. he gives, he doesn't actually give the speech in the restaurant. He gives it that's in a right, different right. room, and that's spliced into the restaurant footage. So yeah, there's <laughs> a lot right. of bizarre. Yeah, you're right. I I don't know what the word would be for it. It's um yeah, a magic. I think is is, <laughs> is is an appropriate term. So this movie is missing that kind of magic. There's there's two moments where it kind of creeps in. I mentioned the location stuff, and and that's maybe minor magic from Samurai Cop. Uh, a lot of the magic of Samurai Cop is like the awkward dubbing where it's very clearly a different actor and yes very clearly not matching the mouth which is that's there's one brief moment in this movie where that's beautiful it's with the character of looney <laughs> but anyways much like in godzilla raids again we then have a an escape from a prison transport vehicle yes. in this case the prison transport vehicle stops because there is an accident on the side of the road with a man dressed as a woman and some guy pretending to be injured. And, and the guy pretending to be injured is Looney, uh, who, who's one of the gang members, obviously. And then the man dressed as a woman is Jesse, who is Tony's brother, who looks like a member of, like, Van Halen or something yes. like that. Because he's got the long blonde hair. It's also worth pointing out that even though you said, you know, there's a, a truck at the side of the road, they're really kind of in the middle of a field driving on, like, an old dirt road with yeah. this prison bus which doesn't seem like it can even negotiate the turns. Yeah, not the type of uh, location I would expect a prison no, where, bus to be where, in. Where, yeah, where exactly are they taking these prisoners? They're taking them to a place where they don't need permits to shoot. That's yes. they're <laughs> so the bus stops. At first you think there's just like two prison guards or whatever. It turns out there's four. It's, it's like one, they keep materializing, but the two guys go out to try and help, and they both get shot. And then all of a sudden, there's a third one. I don't think we see him ent- exit the vehicle, but there is a third one there, and he gets shot. And then as they're freeing Tony and Lynch, a fourth one crawls out the like the back window or whatever of the bus and shoots Jesse, Tony's brother, but then gets killed. The gang then escapes in this, like, truck thing that whenever you see a vehicle like this in, like, a low-budget movie, you have to imagine maybe that's, like, a production van or something because right. it's like it's like a it's like a truck or a van but it's got like a a door like in the back it's yeah it's, it's like, kind of like a camper attached on the yeah. back of a pickup truck it's like a very yeah that's exactly yeah. what it is but a very small camper and it's like there's a decent chance this is like a vehicle used by a mere sheriff <laughs> oh probably yeah especially because uh 
I think it was in the Red Letter Media interview you alluded to earlier. We find out that the one chase scene in Hollywood Cop, he's using his own production van as the, or sorry, yeah. not in Hollywood Cop, in Samurai Cop. His yeah, his production van is one of the chase scene vehicles. So it wouldn't surprise <laughs> yeah, right. me at all if this is just one of their production vehicles being used as a prop. Yeah, so they turn up at a motel because they're supposed to meet someone to get money. And I don't know when we learn this, but at some point we learned that they're supposed to meet Robert Zadar and Jesse's mother. And they right. all, they say at one point they say stepmother. I'm going to assume stepmother because she's only about 5 years older than Robert Zadar. Right. And she has all the money that they stole from the ice cream repair shop. It's not until they're at the motel that Tony's like, "No, we can't go here because they'll expect us to go here. So we need to find a house." Then they just go to a house. And this is you half hour in. This is when we meet our protagonist of the film. Because because they show up at a house and this the house itself is interesting because it's a farmhouse it's got like a stable it's got a stable man like a groundskeeper i don't know what you would call him i think his name is jesus yes yeah the hispanic gentleman Mm -hmm. but it's also got a beautiful pool out back and like a beautiful view of the hills it's like it's very clearly a couple locations that they spliced in because we we see the farm and, and the horses and stuff and we never really see that connected with the front view of the house or the pool yeah i'm wondering if the the interior shots might be a different location and then all of the exterior shots are a second location well, I, I even think the exterior is more than one location more than one. is what I'm okay, saying. Okay, yeah, yeah. The farm, the horses, that area, that's featured, I believe. That's the exterior of the house in, in Hollywood Cop as well, I think. Yes, it's in Hollywood Cop or Young Rebels. I know I've seen it in a Oh, Young one. Rebels. It might, it, might be in, it might be might in be both. might be in both, yeah. And the interior of the house is the same house that the leader of the Japanese gang in Samurai Cop is introduced in, where he gives a speech about how he wants the guy's head The head on off. the piano? Yeah, yeah that's the, the same house. Okay. I haven't seen Samurai Cop in a while, actually. I, I need to revisit that. I, I've seen Hollywood Cop more recently, and even though that wasn't that recently. Anyways, so we meet our family. We've got is it John is the, is the protagonist, right? Yes, played by Harold Diamond. John played by Harold Diamond, aka Jade from at least one or two Andy Sedaris movies. He's this guy wearing like this pink slash almost it's kind of like a hybrid pink and purple <laughs> i i wrote i wrote i wrote periwinkle overalls down in my, okay yeah my he's, he's wearing overalls <laughs> he's also got like a jacket he's got this long black hair usually in a ponytail i think we see it without the ponytail at one point so it's like a mullet he's got a, a young son a blonde boy who i think is the boy from hollywood cop it might not be he looks like him. um the boy who talks to the dog and tries to get the dog to oh, yeah. rescue him from the. <laughs> it might be. It might be that kid. It, it also might not be. Uh, and then we've got two women uh, who are sisters. One of whom is the mother, and right. the other and wife I, of I think John. The, and then the other. The, the the yeah the mother the wife is the brunette. I didn't think it was because the kid is the blondest kid you've ever seen. Yeah, you wouldn't think he has two black haired parents. Right. But I believe the mother is the brunette because she's yes. the one. Spoilers and is, she's the one who's raped later in the movie. Right. The blonde one is the sister. Yes. So John is taking his son. And what's his son's name? It's like oh Brandon. I honestly don't remember. I believe it's Brandon. Yeah, because it's all right, Brandon. I gave him an injection. Yeah, I remember that line. John takes his son Brandon out. We don't know where they're going. Turns out they're going to Brandon's karate practice because in meathead action, everybody knows martial arts. And the two women are just out chilling in bikinis. 
Lynch and Tony then like approach the house. They end up killing Jesus, the I'll just say stable boy. He's he's not a boy, but you know what I mean. Like he's the horse attendant. Lynch kills him specifically because Lynch is the more unhinged one. Tony's clearly the leader. He's the most in control. He's the calmest. Yeah. Even though he has Tony, moments where he, Tony's where the he flies off the handle. <laughs> yes. Tony's Tony's the brains and the chin. <laughs> And they have Looney staying back watching Jesse because of the gunshot wound that he's got. Right. The women see them, and I think they notice in particular, because, they, again, they're out in bikinis by the pool. They don't. It's not that they notice Lynch and Tony approaching them with guns, because Lynch, Lynch just, like, stays a while, like, watching them, and yeah. that's what gives them away. Well, Lynch is a particularly creepy character. Lynch I mean, is the a The fact that we are introduced to him analyzing which stripper to hire shows right. kind of a lot about his character. <laughs> Lynch is the Amir Shervan stand-in, yes. perhaps. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it, but uh, yeah, no. Lynch is the, 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 he looks like a porn star. He looks like a sleazy guy, and he is the sleaziest character. And he, he's also the most unhinged, like I said. So the women get into the house, but then the two men break in. They have Looney bring Jesse in, and Looney, uh, you pointed out before we recorded, Looney is played by that one cop in Samurai Cop. Yes, uh, Jimmy Williams, according to Jimmy IMDb. Williams. Okay, I did not look up the name, but I, d- I do want to say Looney is responsible for one of the two biggest laughs of the movie for me, and I won't say Jimmy Williams is responsible for it because that's part of the joy. Is that I think it's when they're at it's it's either when they're pulling up to the house or when they're pulling up to the motel. I think it's the house. But Looney has some kind of line how it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we can we can get in there. I, I don't remember what he says, but the line is very clearly not delivered by the actor. It's very clearly <laughs> dubbed in later. It's dubbed in like the, the sound is off. It's like not it's dubbed in like a different room or something. Just the sound is just horribly off. And it clearly doesn't match anything that he's the, the lips are, you know, it doesn't match. the <laughs> right. So we get a Godzilla connection even with that. Oh, that's line true. Delivery. That's true. <laughs> Just a, a little quick interlude. Yeah, also in the, the Samurai Cop commentary, you find out that a lot of those weird dubs in the Amir Sherbin yes, films Yes, I was were, going to say this. Yeah, yeah. actually <laughs> dubbed by Amir Sherbin himself. Yeah, so. the, there is a d- better than decent chance Amir Sherbin dubs th- this line, this particular line. Um, so we, we, I, don't, I can't say with certainty, but I think it's probably pretty likely. So yeah, so Looney plays, because Looney has a horribly dubbed line in Samurai Cop too, where he tells the woman to shut up, but it's like, it's clearly his mouth was like moving more than that. And the sound, (laughs) again, sounds like it's coming from a different, (laughs) different different, place. Yeah. Different different country even. (laughs) I mean, it's just the sound is just wrong. (laughs) So that's Looney. Anyways, so, so the, um, conveniently, one of these women, the aunt the sister of the wife the blonde woman who brandon refers to as sexy auntie earlier sexy auntie or whatever she is a nurse conveniently so she's going to help you know at gunpoint obviously she's going to try and help jesse but she says like the gun the bullet hasn't been removed right he's going to have to be taken to a hospital but obviously they're not going to take him to a hospital one of my favorite uh parts with that is actually i'm pretty sure it's robert zadar tony when they burst into the house he says i wrote down a couple of my favorite quotes he says does anybody know how to take care of a gunshot wound which 
you know, if that's your primary objective, I wouldn't break into a random house. But luckily for him, you know, he actually finds oh, yeah. a character. That's... Yeah, just the convenience of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But, but also, it's like, when you're holding a gun, pointing at someone, and saying it that, I think <laughs> my first, if, if I'm on the other end, and I'm saying that, it's like, no, no, don't, don't shoot. <laughs> my sister can treat gunshot wounds, but still don't shoot me just yes. to see if she can. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. So anyways, they say like, okay, no, we can't take him to a hospital. We need you to get us a doctor. And the nurse is like, okay, I know Dr. Fuji. And we meet Dr. Fuji later. Dr. Fuji, another Amir Shervan staple, played by the gay waiter in Samurai Cop, which, like, going back to that restaurant scene, that's my my favorite scene in Samurai Cop. My favorite performance in Samurai Cop, probably. Although I do love the black sidekick character just because he's very clearly just hamming it up, breaking the fourth wall. (laughs) I I do enjoy that, too. So we get our next scene with with, um, John and Brandon. They're at karate practice. Some kid threatens Brandon, says he wants to fight him. And John is like, no, come on, let's go. But then then the kid's dad is like, no, why don't you fight me? And so they fight. This is actually there. It's kind of clever. They're trying to set up that John is good at martial arts because we'll see him kung fu fight people later, right obviously. right they have to explain actually why and i mean is, so i under yeah. so i understand what they're doing but they're also doing it in the most meathead way possible where <laughs> like i mean yeah granted john didn't initiate this but he's still fighting a child's parent at his son's karate practice like there's <laughs> this isn't the best way to get yes. us to like, and it's, like it's this also, guy. it's not it's not a friendly fight either even though they go into the ring to do it it's, yeah no well the other guy fights dirty to be fair right that's true true but but even that like we're getting like elbows to the head even from john and yeah you're right it is it's a street fight and but i'm also thinking of like brandon like granted the other kid is more embarrassed because his dad picked the fight and then got his ass handed to him but if you're brandon you're pretty embarrassed too right yeah yeah it's like uh if you're in elementary school and and you're you're um playing basketball and your dad is yelling at the refs from the sideline and gets kicked thrown out of the game that's kind of what this is like you're just like so embarrassed yeah yeah like please dad don't don't pick another fight or don't can we can we we not make a scene but don't fight any other parents at my martial arts practice tonight yeah it's but it's it's a fun scene i I understand why it's there it's under it's there to set up his martial arts prowess but it's it's just kind of weird too so anyways, John and Brandon arrive home, and obviously they're now taken hostage, and it's agreed that, that John is going to go out and find Dr. Fuji, which he does. He kind of just kidnaps Dr. Fuji, I guess. But he's dri- This is. I want to focus on this, too, because he's driving a van. A van that we haven't seen so far. It's not this. It's not the production van. It's not the van that we or the truck or whatever that kind of has like a camper on it. Right, it's not right, that. right. It's a different vehicle entirely. I assumed, even though we see him, John has like a black sports car or something, and this isn't that. But I assumed it's it's still a family vehicle, right? Because we didn't see the criminals arrive right, in it. Right, right. But after he's taken Doctor Fuji, the cops are chasing him. I don't know why. <laughs> they have no i mean technically he has just kidnapped someone but they're chasing him not because of that they're chasing him because they it's a vehicle that they connect with the robberies from earlier and we learn this because they've got jim brown on the phone and they tell him about this because jim brown we we haven't introduced him yet he's introduced some point earlier in the movie nine times out of ten we see him he's just sitting at a desk right he, do, he does go to a brothel later, on on the on the phone scene <laughs> yeah so he because he this is his case i guess 
so he f- thinks that Tony and his gang are out somewhere in this area because they've spotted this brown van. Right, but which the has, brown no van has no to connection to anything. Right. It's yeah. just a very... It, I think they used the wrong... I think they just shot it with the wrong car. I think yeah. this is supposed to be a scene with the... the a chase scene with the production van that we were talking about earlier. I, I think they just used the wrong car. I, there's no other explanation for it. If we have just... Uh backtrack a little bit if we want to keep making these connections to Godzilla raids again I do enjoy the scene where he shows up at Dr. Fuji's house because we meet Dr. Fuji I believe it's his wife who she's speaking to him only in Japanese and I like I said I have a, a little bit of Japanese language and she is actually speaking Japanese Okay. Uh, they didn't just have her, like, speak some random language or just kind of Okay, mumble. that's good, she, I guess. She is actually speaking Japanese, and he's responding in English. And the Japanese, from what I can <laughs> it's tell... It's the Chewbacca. It's the Chewbacca yeah, method. Yeah, actually <laughs> makes sense in context, the things she's saying, so... Okay, that's that's actually really interesting to know. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I do want to say, the, the ultimate question that Dr. Fuji raises for me is that, is an anti-Asian racial slur less offensive if it's spoken to a person who's clearly not asian (laughs) (laughs) because that's what we get there the um, well it's also that's true that's that's kind of another problem isn't it because uh it might be worse it's arguably worse his name is joselito rescobert yes he's he's, very clearly hispanic he's very clearly and he and he and he's playing a hispanic character in samurai cop but here that's right he he talks about his cousin from like columbia or something yeah here we have him playing a very obviously supposed to be japanese doctor based on his wife and his own name yeah dr fuji which yeah there's a lot of a lot of problems with that (laughs) well no i mean there's problems with that itself but i almost think that because we get the uh the g word dropped a couple times later oh right right but that word doesn't even apply to japanese which is particularly funny i believe i wasn't thinking about no that. i believe okay. that's that slur a, is particularly meant chinese for vietnamese one, it? or chinese oh, it vietnamese? It, okay. it's one or the other it's definitely right. not japanese i don't know my asian ethnic slurs i guess i'm I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know if i should be apologizing but i no. i guess that's a, a weird scene because it's like offensive on three in three ways right or at right, least two ways right. well well three ways because he uses the word obviously and like you don't want that I right. don't want to hear that. I, know, I understand there's context in a movie where, you know, it makes sense. It's appropriate. I mean, it's inappropriate in all days. Right, but it's appropriate but it to the character it, yeah. using it and right. in the it film. Is, right, it is right. kind of appropriate to the, because it's Tony. It's the villain saying it. But he's speaking it to an actor who's playing the wrong race. Right. <laughs> which, which I <laughs> and guess, he's like, using the wrong racial slur for and that And he's using, race using anyway, the wrong so racial yeah. slur, which which could be appropriate to the character again because, like, he doesn't, you know... He doesn't know that he's... Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yep. He, he doesn't <laughs> keep his Asian slurs correct either because he's there's, a criminal. There's a lot of layers to that scene, <laughs> and we'll, we'll have to get into that, but, uh, well, I guess we pretty much covered it, but we'll, I'll at least mention when that scene is in the movie. So, well, well, first of all, the, the chase scene, I guess. Even though we see from the POV from the front seat of the cop car chasing the van that there are only about two car lengths behind them, somehow he's able to pull into, like, a dirt path off the road right. and not be seen. It, some clever editing there, too, um, but it's just, like, it's, it's a lame chase scene. Whatever, it's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> uh, then, so we get back to the house. And Dr. Fuji treats the gunshot wound and then thinks they're going to let him go. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to say anything. I just need to get back to my wife. And I'm like, buddy, your wife doesn't even speak your language. Um, (laughs) She doesn't care about you. 
Uh, but the wife becomes an important thing because that's what inspires the um, the outburst that leads to the ra- racial slurs. <laughs> That's true. Yes, <laughs> they they talk about his wife a lot in this movie like more than yes, you would considering expect. Considering she's only character. in about twenty seconds of actual film, right? And yeah, I guess I didn't even realize that. Like we saw because uh, I was just thinking that was just some woman, but you're right. I, I'm sure that was supposed to be his wife. But yeah, a lot of a lot of focus on Doctor Fuji's personal life in, in this movie, where <laughs> Doctor Fuji is really just a side character. And so we we get a couple kind of moments of John trying to fight back against the criminals and at this point Lynch you know hates this guy and wants to kill him but Tony keeps saying no he's going to die slow because that's something that happens in action movies right there's there's a lot of things where like I think the classic example and we see a couple of this later on in the climax but the classic example of like this action movie cliche that Amir Shervan's adopting and and not really doing in a very good way but like the whole like oh no this is personal I'm not going to shoot you we're going to fight yes sometimes those kind of they might end with the shooting. They they all end with shooting in, in this, but like y- usually it's either a spoken thing and, and people lay down their weapons and they don't go back to their guns, or it's an unspoken thing and the guns are too hard to get to, so people will have to fight it out with their hands. Because that's like, in, you know, in a lot of action movies, it's like, okay, you kind of just have to accept that every now and then someone with a long-range weapon like a gun will not shoot and will just get up close to someone who doesn't have a gun. You know, like, that just kind of right, happens. Right, right. It's like, it's like the more honorable thing to do in some cases or in others. Yeah, there is a bit of honor. Forced in on them Sam- by circumstance, yeah. Because in Samurai Cop, it's all about honor because they end up having that sword fight. So uh, he's doing a lot of that, Amir Sharvan is. But so... I might be I might be skipping ahead a bit. There's a lot with just just scenes with Jim Brown just like talking and and carrying on with his boring ass investigation. He goes yeah, to Yeah, I mean a, the um, the movie kind of once we get to the house, there's a lot of fairly I'd say repetitive scenes and it kind of plods along for a little while. All of the Jim Brown stuff seems completely pointless. Like he is, he he goes to that brothel, right? Because the brothel is some connection. Some woman at that brothel has a connection. The scene just goes on for way too long. It's just a. I, I'm sure I think Jim it's, Brown it's supposed to be funny. It. I think but. yes, but it's it's really not. But it's just a bunch of women hitting on Jim Brown. And yes, I'm sure it's yeah. like, if Amir Sharvan knew who Jim Brown was, which I probably I don't think that's the case. But like a lot of directors might throw that in there for like an older like star, especially if he's the biggest star in the movie, because it's kind of like it pads their ego a bit. Right. So that that could be why that's there, but again, I don't. I really have no reason to believe Amir Amir Sherman knows who yeah. Jim Brown is. Yeah, and it it doesn't really carry the plot along. I don't think it ends up being important, but I think they kind of, with the dialogue, insist that it's important when they eventually kind of find the house. But I don't right. really remember. It's it's not. This isn't the best plotted movie exactly, especially when it comes to the investigative side. Uh, at one point. When everyone's sleeping, Brandon gets up and tries to steal the gun. Well, okay, well, actually, this happens after the rape scene. I mentioned the rape scene earlier. It's the worst scene of the movie. Just go, going back to kind of the, even the, the racial slur thing, like I mentioned, you don't want that in a movie, but there are instances where, like, for the movie it is, it's kind of appropriate, or for the character it's kind of appropriate. Right. Sort of the same thing with rape. I never want to see it in a movie, but... There are scenarios in certain movies, generally like, well, all better done movies than this, but like generally like dramatic movies or like, uh, I don't know, where it's like, but but even then you can kind of shoot around it. 
Right, you know, right. You, can, you can imply rape a lot, more or it has than some direct has. like bearing on the plot or the characters yes. or something. This, it this seems rape very gratuitous. Is, is utterly yes. pointless. It has nothing to do with it, and the setup right. is weird too because everybody's taken hostage in this house. Then the mother, who I'm sure we get her name, but I don't remember it. And I'm not going to look it up on IMDb, but like I, I don't remember them saying her name. I'm, I'm sure they probably do. But the, the brunette mother is taking a bath. And that already is weird because everyone's just a hostage. You wouldn't right. think you would right. be able to do this leisurely activity. But this is when everyone's like supposed to be asleep or everyone's like almost asleep. I think there's supposed to be one guard. And I think at this moment that's supposed to be Lynch. But Lynch sneaks up to the bathroom. This scene goes on for too long. Not the rape itself. I mean, I think any rape in a movie like this goes on for too long i'm talking more about lynch just like sl- the way he slowly takes off his shirt and his like boots and stuff it's going on for way too long because lynch is the pervert we've established that yes so he goes and rapes her and he says like you know you don't make a sound because if you make a sound tony comes in here and then i'll kill you you don't want to see this scene it's just it's un it's just uncomfortable there's not really another way to describe it it's this scene drags the movie down a bit like i i think that's going to even though overall i enjoyed this movie for its stupid dumb meathead qualities (laughs) and its occasional kind of glimpses into the magic of samurai cop a scene like this is probably going to hurt it like yeah like it's going to keep me from like wanting to revisit it right well especially samurai cop doesn't have any as we've said it's 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 no, I mean, Samurai Cop, I would say, has more sex scenes in general, which are uncomfortable. Yes. But it doesn't have anything that goes to this level, and certainly not a, a forced sex Yes, scene. I will take a dozen consensual Robert Zadar sex scenes over a scene like this. I will. Yes, and and yeah. I already mentioned I yeah. don't want to see the Robert Zadar sex scene. But And clearly, like we said, we already know Lynch is a pervert, and we already feel bad for the mother because she's being held hostage by a bunch of criminals in her own house. So the scene mm-hmm. doesn't change our feelings about either character in any way jim my usual host and i have talked about this but like rape scenes nine times out of ten in like a cheap low budget movie are there really just to get boobs in there right and so we complain about them in particular especially when they're in movies that already have boobs otherwise like we talked about i don't know if you've seen this movie but silent night deadly night no i haven't I mean, it's a Christmas slasher film. I, I actually really okay. like it. But it's, okay. it's, this, it's this movie that features a lot of nudity otherwise, like sex scenes, stuff like that. But there's a scene early on where a guy dressed up as Santa Claus is, like, murdering this family. But instead of just killing the mom, he takes her out and just rips her shirt open. And it's like, oh, come on. I don't need this. And it's like, it, it's all the more pointless when we already have boobs and we have <laughs> boobs in like the opening scene of this movie, you know? Right, right. Yeah. It doesn't take Amir Shervin long to, to have nudity. Right. He uh, busts out the goods right away. <laughs> so I don't understand why this scene's there. I think it's there potentially just to make it more personal between this wife, mother character and Lynch. Right. But I really don't think it needs to, because these, she's already held hostage by him. I don't think it right. needs to be any more personal. And also, if it's going to be more personal, maybe do something with the wife character. Like I said, I can't remember her name. According to IMDb, it's Doris. Oh, that's, yeah, that doesn't ring a bell. Like, Doris yeah, is like, I'm not even sure. Yeah, that. if they call, if Doris they is like to, this old-timey name. Yes. I would have if commented If they refer to her by name, it's very quickly in the dialogue. It's never yeah. highlighted, that's for sure. I mean, I clearly, like, later in the film, the only thing that comes out of this is that she is the one to kill him, and she does so by shooting him. Yes. You know. It's an appropriate, it's a fitting death for 
Right, right. And, and I agree. So, and that's, but we don't need all that to set that up. It's, especially because he doesn't even need to die from that. He could easily die earlier. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he's already shot, and he's he's like, already laying there in a pool of his own blood when she. Yeah, finishes him <laughs> I don't off. think we yeah. need to see his balls blown off necessarily. <laughs> Anyways, so this scene, uh, we've spent longer on the scene than I would like to, but I, I do, yeah. do just want to highlight: rape scenes are never fun. They're especially in low budget movies like this because you kind of understand what the director is thinking. He's right. like, oh yeah, we can fit more TNA in here. And it's like, yeah, but don't do that with a rape scene. Yeah. Any, any, anything else is preferable. Yeah. Give me another yeah. Robert Zadar scene. I, anything. Yeah. yeah. So Brandon at night wakes up, steals the gun from Looney because Looney's asleep. Oh, a couple things about this scene. So Looney's supposed to be on guard at this point because Lynch falls asleep. Lynch falls asleep within half a second of sitting down. He comes back downstairs. I don't. He might be wearing a shirt at this point. I don't think he is. He's wearing his jeans. He didn't bother zipping up his jeans after this or buttoning them up. Oh, I didn't. But I didn't notice that. <laughs> I, well, no, no. There's an. Uh, there's another reason I'm bringing this up too because there's a gaping hole in his jeans. And I thought at first, like, oh yeah, he didn't button up. But no, there's just a. There's just like a rip in his jeans in the crotch area. So there's two openings there. There's the opening that's meant to be there. <laughs> right. and, and the reason I'm mentioning this, I'm not like going out of my way to look at it. It's featured center frame when he sits down because he sits down in a way where one of his legs is up on the arm of the chair. So I'm actually surprised you missed it because I didn't think you could miss it. It's like right there. it's in your face pretty clearly. <laughs> there's a lot of package to see. Like I said, he sits down. Then Looney goes up to him like, hey, Lynch, are you asleep? Looney's there one second after he sits down, and apparently he is asleep. So, <laughs> so he took some melatonin or something. Yes, I don't know. yeah, yeah. So then Lynch is supposed to be on guard, I guess, but Lynch ends up falling asleep. And again, in a kind of a humorous way, because he's just like sitting upright, and he's like very clearly, the I mean, the actor's not asleep. And so Brandon steals the gun from him. We've got this little eight-year-old with the gun. And then he runs into Lynch, who I guess woke up. And then it's kind of some poor phrasing. I understand what they're doing here. But he's like, oh, but I want to sleep with my mommy or something. And 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 he's like, well, then go upstairs. Because I think he says he, like, woke up because he couldn't sleep. Right. Because he wanted to be with his mom. But his mom's right. not downstairs. So it's not the best cover story. This is when I learned that the blonde wasn't his mom. I assumed because... When, when he wakes up in the scene, he's in the bed. He's in a very big bed with his mom and with Dr. Fucci. <laughs> They're all in the same bed. And then he goes upstairs to the bed with his mom and his dad. And he's trying to give his dad the gun. And that's when Looney has alerted the other criminals and they all converge. And then I think then Lynch is pissed at Looney. And then this is when uh, John kind of tries to fight back again. He slaps Robert Zadar in the face, and it's very hard to miss that face. It is. It's a, it's a big target. Yes. Lynch is ready to kill him again. But again, again, Tony's like, no, don't, you know, we're, we're going to make it slow. And at this point, it's like, I, I don't understand the, the long game here. I, I don't know. Why don't they just kill him? But you know, yeah, they've I mean. already murdered enough people. I mean, it's not like yeah, they're trying to point. avoid murder. They've killed like ten cops up to this point. Well, I guess they do end up using him to try and pick up the money. John gets hit in quotes by Lynch. Lynch very clearly is supposed to hit him with like the you know pistol whip him right, but he lands the hit probably a foot and a half above John's head. Right. I mean, I've seen Dolomite. I've seen some bad like you know this doesn't look like you're hitting anybody at all but this is up there this is one of the best i think uh or one of the worst rather but john is heavily injured and then brandon 
says the famous line, you stupid jerk, you killed my dad. Yes. <laughs> Even though he's not dead. And then Doc, Dr. Fuji gives him an injection of some sort. So yes. Dr. Fuji saves him from death, maybe. <laughs> but just in time to get John to go do the pickup from yes. Robert Zadar's stepmother. And at this point... The cops are casing the motel, and this is the same yes. motel that... From earlier. And this is probably the biggest laugh of the movie. It's a quick yeah. moment. Jim Brown's like, that's the motel. And then we get a quick shot of the motel, and it's like a overexposed yeah. like photograph. And it's just yeah. like the well, color is wrong. Jim Brown's, like clearly, Jim Brown's clearly not at the same place. So I think they printed out a very poor copy of the hotel, like a, off a color printer, and held it up to the camera. That's what it seems to look like. Because it I also mean, shakes I a little bit. Uh, it does shake a little bit. I can't imagine that's what they've done, but it seems like the most logical. Like, it's not yeah. the least most logical in terms of filmmaking, but it's yeah. the most logical in what we're given. Because it looks like a thermal image. Just the coloring is does. all yeah. off. Yeah. And But it's like you could have just used – you could have you reused the same shot from earlier, and it would have looked a billion <laughs> times better. It's true. It's true. Yeah, because I agree. Because I don't think Jim Brown being at the location or not – you. It's not like you can't show. No, you could have you could have spliced it in. Yeah, yeah. Right. Absolutely. So John is sent to do the pickup, and he goes to the sleazy motel. Right. And he's helped to his room by an undercover cop who blows his cover pretty bad when he can't get the door open. Yeah, he's not. He's not great in this role, is he? Yeah, he's very clearly not uh, uh, like a bell bellhop. I think is what. Which, I, yes, to be fair, I don't yeah. think sleazy also, LA motels are no, known for hiring no, bellhops. No, he's so, also so maybe he's clearly not. Wrong. He's not even in any type of hotel uniform either. He's yes, just, that's it. Yeah, he's just kind of wearing like dirty old clothes. <laughs> Yeah, he's just, and then John gets into his room and then invites him back in and says he's having trouble with the door. And then I think he kills him. Doesn't he kill him? They fight. Yeah. They have a kung fu fight, but he strangles him. Yes. And this is, again, John, like, obviously John's doing this for self-preservation. He's trying to save his family. Right. But I still think he can maybe do this in a way where he's not murdering police murdering officers. Murdering an undercover cop, yeah. To just make him a little bit more likable. Just... Briefly at this point, I think it's worth discussing the hotel room, which also leads to just some general discussion of the sets. So one of well, my this favorite... this I assume is not... Is, is this a set? Well, all right, sorry, not sets. Uh, locations, okay, yeah. I guess locations, we can call them. Yeah. You know, however they are, whatever they're using just as their locations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, clearly they're not actual constructed sets. But one of my favorite parts of the film is that this supposed hotel room, which is really clearly just like a ratty apartment without anything in it, this hotel room has a piece of art in the background of the fight scene that is yeah. a skeleton riding a motorcycle which <laughs> i i would like to know what kind of you know hotel has art like that um which and, you know, that's the, a that's a theme of amir shervan like the weird wall art because well, yeah like, that's what i was gonna head. say the the lion head and samurai cop but also if you look <laughs> The entire house where most of the film takes place is just loaded with weird art. There's a painting. I think it's by the front door. It looks like it's someone strangling someone. It's like a weird <laughs> I didn't know. There's, there's a few abstract nudes, including like <laughs> yes, above the I bed. Did that. Um, so we've got these weird like 
abstract nude or strangling artworks. Um, you know, they're all I, over the You know, the house. I don't think it, it, it looks like strangling. I think it might be anal sex. I really, I th- <laughs> think it might be that. I, I mean, I, but that, that like... would not be any, I mean, either of them make total sense. Yeah. And then there's also but it, but it like, is kind of the abstract quality. Yeah, there. but then also throughout the house are like weird. I'm going to call them just like grandma knickknacks. Like there's curio cabinets yes. filled yes. with like little porcelain statues and teddy bears and things like that. Absolutely not the house those those people would be living in. No, not John no, with his no. ponytail mullet. Yeah, he's into karate. Yeah, he, would not he might he house. might have the abstract nude art for sure. Yes, but yes not he the, does seem that type. Yes. But then, yeah, the hotel room that has the skeleton riding a motorcycle, and then also next to the skeleton riding a motorcycle seems to be, like, a portrait of someone. Um, And I can't tell who it is. But again, like, this is not, it's not a hotel room. No. No, it would not, yeah. And it's otherwise completely bare, which, I mean, it's it's just kind of like a rundown motel. I, I would expect a pretty bare room. Yeah. But yeah. I agree. The artwork, they didn't put those there. They were already there, clearly. But yes. it, it's odd. <laughs> but anyways, John, having disposed of one cop, goes to the room next door, meets Robert Zadar's younger mother. And she's like, who the hell are you? And he's like, okay, give me the money. I've got this key thing. But then he does something kind of clever sort of clever where he convinces her wait wait how does this work because he i think he convinces her to like take the key so that if the cops end up following her and he suspects they will then she'll but i i feel like he's setting her up and she should know this but it's very clever in the sense that he doesn't have the key when he comes back right because she is followed by the cops there's there's like two more cops or something like that well two cops get in a car and chase her or no they don't get in a car and chase her they go up to like the room and that's when the guy from picasso trigger beats the crap out of them he slams one of theirs uh, one of their faces against the wall and there's like a trail of blood from the wall so again he's he might be killing these guys uh which it's fun to see but i also like in a traditional movie if you're trying to have a likable protagonist i don't think this is really the way to do it even though he is a very he's a very he's a very odd hero and again so much of that is just his appearance he looks like just some dumb meathead he looks like the guy you would cast as just like a thug he looks like he would be he should be one of the gang members make looney the hero looney's the the kind of the normal like everyday looking guy yeah it's true <laughs> so john gets back at the house and claims that he didn't pick up the money specifically well he i guess he gets back to the house he hides the money he also hides his gun he throws his gun up on the roof right and he also he also notices that jesus has been murdered because that's right yeah he, he sees jesus laying in the horse barn and he also sees jesus's son who's just hanging out there right looking for his father and he says something like, hey, you need to go home. And he doesn't say it's not safe here, but he's that's what he's thinking. He doesn't want to tell him anything. He's like, hey, you right, got to right, get out of yes. here. Right, yeah. right, And then as the boy turns and walks away, he's he's very clearly, like, smiling or laughing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then Jade, or not Jade, sorry, Jade's his character in Picasso Trigger. Yes. Uh, John, he's John Morgan. John Morgan, one. yes. Um, J.P. Morgan comes back <laughs> to the house and says like hey there there wasn't any money to pick up you guys like set me up for something like she wasn't there i didn't pick up the money i don't have the key just to cover all our bases here when he's gone is when the uh, dr fuji has his little meltdown and tries to leave and that's when they tony almost kills him he calls him the g word points a gun at him shoots the gun actually but intentionally misses 
Right, and I was a little confused about this part because it also looks like Dr. Fuji has a bullet hole in his shoulder. There's a there's a hole in his coat oh, sleeve. I don't think I noticed that. Then I was confused as to whether he was shot in the shoulder but didn't react at all or totally missed him, which I assume he just totally missed him. I Yeah, I mean, visually it looks like he totally missed him, but I, I'm not ruling anything out in an Amir Shervan film. Yeah, I yeah. If I take one thing away from there, seem from to his be a lot films. of a lot of uh, costumes or clothes that just have rips in them. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> so John tells Brandon, he's like, "Okay, I hid my gun on the roof at night. You have to go up and get it. Remember how I've helped you onto the roof before?" But then they just get it in the next scene, and it's not night. So, I, but he specifically right. says, "Get it at night." Right. Also, the fact that he says how many times they've gone up on the roof, they really struggle to actually get the gun. And They do. They, I mean, well, you got to make it tense. And, you know, Brandon perhaps has been shrinking as he's gotten older. I don't know. Yes. Than, but it's also odd because apparently they're both allowed to be outside. <laughs> Which right, think right. They're, they're not very good at holding hostages. They can have baths. They can go outside onto the right. roof, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, Brandon gets the gun. At this point, this is when Dr. Fuji and the sister are, like, trying to keep Looney from coming upstairs to see what's going on. So the sister starts hitting on him, and, and you know, and then Dr. Fuji jumps on him, I guess. I didn't know what Dr. Fuji was was doing at first, but then it becomes clear that he's part of the plan. And he just kind of jumps on him. <laughs> and yes. then they, they try and get the gun from him, but Looney gets the gun, and he points it. But then John shoots him, and we get a brilliant reaction shot of uh looney just like looking oh <laughs> like looking surprised when he gets shot one of the funnier moments of the movie um, yes <laughs> and then one of my favorite moments it's a small little moment but after he's shot he like yells out tony and then we cut to tony and lynch or maybe tony and his brother or something but they react to the yelling of his name and not to the gunshot that happened before it <laughs> which i think is right. great Right. <laughs> it's just like a, he's got this very effective silencer. <laughs> so then it's then it's a bit of a standoff. We've got upstairs, obviously, our protagonists, and downstairs we've got our villains. But Lynch is going to climb upstairs from outside, which really seems like... A lot more effort a, than it's worth. Doesn't yeah. have a great chance of success. And obviously no, no. when he's a... climbing up, they see him and they shoot him. And right. he falls down. And he you falls down. You think he's dead, but later he gets shot in the balls by the, the woman he raped. Then we've got a bit of a standoff, and Tony and his brother, who at this point his brother is, like, healthy, they're thinking, like, okay, we got we got to just, like, run or something because uh, what do we do? And at this point, a, a, a car pulls up. It's like a clown car. Like, it's just a sedan, but, like, six pe- five or six people get out of it. <laughs> you wouldn't think they'd all fit in there. And we don't know who these people are at first. I thought they were cops because one of the guys wears, like, a hat that has, like, a it looks like a star on it, like a police badge kind of thing. But these are gang, more gang members. And the guy with the hat, I'll refer to as Bill Hader, because he, when he wears his hat and when he wears his sunglasses, he kind of looks a bit like Bill Hader, and yeah. he speaks in kind of like a sarcastic tone of voice. So yep. he, he reminds yep. me of Bill Hader. Eventually, yep. we see him without the hat. Doesn't really resemble Bill Hader. I believe we saw him earlier at the strip club. That would make sense. Yeah. Because, so I but, think Lynch, Lynch either calls them or Tony calls them at the strip club where we were at the beginning of the film, and like tells them they need to come out there because they need help and there's some money in it this climax itself is structured in three acts but we've got the first act of the climax is in the house 
This is when right. Lynch is climbing up. Yep. The, the second act then is with the other gang members who are just kind of cannon fodder. They're out there. They're trying to... It's, it's Lynch yeah, it's, it's really It's guys. really just more people to get shot in the big battle at the end. It, it, exactly, yeah. And, and they do this thing a couple times. They did it early in the movie. Again, going back to, like, this movie's not good with spatial relations. There's a lot of scenes. I think John, John does it twice here. Tony did it earlier with one of the security guards at the ice cream factory or whatever, where he just like sneaks up on a guy who has his back turned even though he should know where the guy is and he just kills him easily Mm -hmm. it's weird that they do it as many times as they do because it's never exciting it's never i think it's supposed to be kind of funny at least one of the times because john has some kind of like a one-liner or something he's like he he like comes up on on a guy and he's like hey i'm here or something like (laughs) it's just something stupid like that it's it's not really a one-liner yeah and then we get and more bad spatial relations you know understanding of like because um John is like hiding behind some something and then one of the goons gets on like a I think it's like a bale of hay or he's like standing on top of something where he clearly should be able to see the guy and at any rate maybe standing high up on something where you're not protected at all is probably the last thing I would want to do if there's a a shooter out there who I don't and I don't know where he is (laughs) but he should be able to see John at any rate and John John kills him and then John sets a guy on fire in a scene that, I mean, it's always great to see guys on fire. In it's another Amir Shervan go-to. Yeah, Somebody hit, get Samurai Cop. Unfortunately, yep. we don't get, it, it doesn't last for so long. Like, the best thing about Samurai Cop, the guy on fire, is that when the actors go to set him out, he's very clearly, like, the a totally different too person. Long or something. Yes. No, 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 it's not that he's a different person, but he's, like, you could tell that the stuntman is just, like, looking up and just waiting for them to show up. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we don't get that here. This This person on fire is much briefer. So John kills Bill Hader and all these other guys. And at this point, it's just Jesse and Tony. And this is when Jim Brown shows up. And I don't, like I said, I, there might have been information that they learned at the strip club or maybe they, it, maybe they captured someone after the motel. I, they get information from somewhere. I do think the movie actually covers it, but I just don't remember what it was. So Jim Brown is there. And then Tony takes the Hispanic boy, Jesus's son, uh, I don't remember his name, but he takes him hostage. And Jim Brown is like, okay, put the gun down, Tony, and come out here. And he's like, no, if you, if anyone comes at me, I'm going to kill this kid. Oh, well, <laughs> like first thing, when Jim Brown stumbles upon Tony, it's right after Tony has killed Jesse. Jim Brown's like ready to shoot him. And then Dr. Fuji's just like, no, 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 he's the owner of the house. And he's just like, oh, okay. And then they just let him stand with them with the gun. Like you'd think, yes, like, hey, yes. These, this team of cops, yeah. you'd think it'd be we'll, like, hey, we'll get take back care here. of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll take, but no, they let him. And eventually they let him kung fu fight him. So that's great. Then we get our, even though he's Tony clearly making a last stand, holding his holding this boy hostage with the gun, eventually decides to, is it John that challenges him to a fight, or does he challenge John to a fight? I can't remember. Oh. It would make more sense for John to challenge him. Yeah, I don't remember who challenges who. But they have a kung fu fight. Again, this is one of those action cliches where they put down the guns and they fight, but then the right. scene it has still to turn ends into the the mano the a mano yeah, yeah. right this the scene still ends with shooting which i think i think you've got to kill the guy with your fists if you're going to do this scene i mean to be fair tony does grab for the gun and he's ready to shoot john john gets his gun and but he's shot by both john and jim brown yes it's kind of a weirdly shot weirdly edited scene but that's pretty much how we end the movie but we actually end the movie on one of the funniest things 
in it because John goes and gets the money, the this stolen money that, as you mentioned, is is the money that they stole from the ice cream thing. It's not just money that the mom had. It's stolen money. And then he gives it to the grieving Hispanic mother, the, the wife of Jesus, who we didn't know was in this scene until now. We didn't right. know, we, we didn't see her until now. We saw right. the boy, sure, but she's over here and she's got this other smaller kid, and then he gives them the, the money, and we don't even know if they know Jesus is dead. <laughs> it's just a really weird... Not only that, but it's, he's giving them stolen money. Like They're not going to be able <laughs> <Yeah>. to... like <laughs> the, the, the second the cops actually ask some questions, that money's coming back. Right, just, right, and that's how right. the movie ends. It's kind of a magical moment. Like, this is one of my favorite endings in motion picture history because it's so funny just the fact that we didn't know this character existed until <laughs> right. now. And, <laughs> and, the, and, I mean, the whole the whole film is revolving in some way around that money, right? Even though it, like, kind of falls into the background in a lot of ways. Like, the entire plot is, yeah, hinged around the money. Yeah, the cops aren't going to just let the money just go to this family even if their husband and father died. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, that is Killing American Style. What did you think of the movie? Well, this was the second time I've seen it. And I think I actually enjoyed it more the second time because uh, I have seen Samurai Cop, Young Rebels, um, mm-hmm. Hollywood Cop now before seeing this one again. Uh, and I really enjoy seeing how this leads into, like I said earlier, Samurai Cop in a lot of ways. You can kind of see he's kind of perfecting his, I mean, if we can use the We're word making perfection. it worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he, he's, he's certainly got his style and you can see like these elements of his style coming out in these earlier films which all kind of lead to his i'd call it his opus samurai cop yeah oh opus in in the bad movies on samurai cop is one of the most entertaining bad movies ever. oh it's definitely one of the greatest, definitely so bad it's good movies it'll probably be in my top five i've i've recommended samurai cop to a lot of people that i know that like b movies i don't think i would really recommend killing american style to them no it's it's not it's not nearly as entertaining it's not nearly as funny even though it has aspects i mentioned the weird the thermal image <laughs> photography yes. of yeah, yeah. And, and the and the one the clearly overdubbed line of um Amir Shervan uh voicing Looney in one yeah. scene. And then there's the occasional like John is trying to run from the restaurant and he just ends up in the strip <laughs> club and the yeah. shots don't match yeah. at all. Like there's there's moments like that. But Samurai Cop, that's the entire movie, those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah. I mean I would say to someone if you really enjoyed Samurai Cop, watch this one as well. I mean, and the other yeah. Amir Shervans. But if you're just a, a general fan of B-movies, I don't know mm-hmm. if this is, you know, really the right one for you. But if you do love Samurai Cop, definitely watch Killing American Style as well. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's I think that's very fair. I don't think... I, I think you need a an Amir Shervan knowledge an Amir Shervan connection to really, right, right. really enjoy this movie because it isn't nearly as incompetent as his other movies even right even like hollywood cop is hollywood cop's a lot more com- competent than samurai cop i can't speak for young rebels because i've never seen it but hollywood cop is, still has that like awful buddy cop energy where it's just like what are we doing we're just taking the time to have this cop beat women in mud wrestling at this like strip club like what are we doing there's nothing as funny in this scene as i mean you could name 15 scenes in samurai cop that are funnier than anything in this you know the game right, right, the, right. Um, yes the Lindsay lohan nurse scene yes <laughs> the awkward flirting 
And then, but even Hollywood Cop, there's nothing as funny in this movie as the scene where the black police officer mistakes the Prince of Africa for a guy that they busted for cocaine. <laughs> there's nothing as funny or awkward in this movie, no. is it? Because no. that seems magical in, in its own way. That's true, yeah. I mean, the you stupid jerk you killed my dad is great yeah I, like i said i, I really enjoyed lines. all of the background artwork that's in it um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nothing's as good as the lion head though to be fair the lion no, head that's is true. like that's distracting. true distracting again it's another it seems it seems another amir shervon trait that he liked to populate his locations with a lot of just weird and unusual art or find locations that already had it i suppose yeah because... and i also like in another thing in samurai cop the actor that plays looney who's just like a normal cop in that movie he's not a samurai cop he's not a martial arts cop when he gets murdered in his home it's very clearly the home of like a martial arts a competitive martial <laughs> yes. arts champion or something because yes. you see yes. these trophies everywhere yeah I do, and I do always enjoy seeing directors that use recurring actors and actresses. So that's kind of fun to see minor characters like the gay waiter uh, in Samurai Cop be the very prominent character of Dr. Yeah, Fuji yeah, he's given cop. a lot to do here. And the same with Looney, like you said, you know, Looney's a, a pretty major character in this, whereas he's a secondary cop in Samurai Cop, so. Yeah, he's got his core of actors, obviously Robert Zadar. Uh, and Robert, Robert Zadar is just an enjoyable performer. He's actually... He's the closest thing in this movie, even though even though Jim Brown's in it. Robert Zadar is the closest thing to being good in it as as an actor. There's the scene where he's like in the standoff, and his pleading is like, "Just just let just let this all go. Just let us uh, just throw us down the keys, and and you'll never hear from us." He's actually like convincing in that scene. He he sounds like he's legitimately pleading, like he's like worried for his life. It's true. Yeah, yeah. All of all of his movies came out like one a year from the late eighties uh-huh. to the early nineties, right? And uh, so, Killing American Styles eighty eight, Hollywood Cops eighty nine, or eighty seven. Oh, oh yeah, Young Rebels is eighty nine. Yeah. Then Gypsies okay. ninety, and then Samurai Cops ninety one. So it's kind of interesting to to see kind of how they progress over time. Yeah, I'm gonna have to find a way to to find and watch Gypsy now. If we're talking about Killing American Style like it's an actual movie, obviously it's terrible. So much is wrong. Harold, even the casting of Harold Diamond is just wrong. He shouldn't be your everyman action hero. No, no, definitely not. I mean, granted, I've seen good movies that screw that up too. Like Arnold is supposed to be like an everyman in Total Recall. And Arnold, like Harold Diamond, cannot pass as an everyman. No. You know, he just can't. But Total Recall is a great movie. So it's like, it's not that just, I mean... Arnold also terrible actor, but he has a charisma about him that I'm sorry, Harold Diamond does not does not match. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. <laughs> so yeah, I think we're pretty much in agreement on this movie then. So, Sean, which of these two movies do you prefer? Oh. Which do you find more enjoyable for whatever reason? Because I think we both know which is the better of the two movies. Yes, yeah. If we're if we're ranking them based on actual quality. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, they're both fun to watch in very different ways, I guess, right? I'm not sure I'd... I mean, okay, I'll, I'll have to go with Godzilla Reads again. But it's it's a tough call, I will say that. I agree that it's a tough call, and I went back and forth on this. Go- coming into this, I had never actually seen Killing American Style. I had seen Hollywood Cop, I had seen Samurai Cop, so I sort of knew what to expect. I remembered Godzilla Raids again as being one of the, as I mentioned, one of the more dull Godzilla features. Not one one of the worst. Like, Ebera is terrible. Um, All Monsters <laughs> Attack is terrible. Son of Godzilla's got a whole bunch Son of, of Godzilla's wrong. entertaining, though. Son of Godzilla <laughs> yeah. is a fun watch. I, I, I will defend that movie. Well, but. that's true. It's also then, are we, are we discussing, are we going 
what's more fun or what's a better film or what's more interesting. It's all sorts of ways we could rank them. In right? terms of the toss-up of these two movies, I do just what's what you enjoy more, what, what's more yeah. entertaining to you. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, I remember Godzilla Raids again being dull, and it's not dull. It's not – it's no 1954's Godzilla. It's not – I mean, it's not a masterpiece, but it's – does a lot of things right. The Godzilla Angris fight is a lot of fun. The destruction's it always is. great to see. There's some yep. good model stuff. There's some bad model yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think too, but I like, think they have a pretty good model of Osaka and Osaka Castle in particular. I think I'm going Killing American style. Okay. Coming into it, I would have expected to enjoy Killing American style more, even though I had never seen it before. Turns out it's not nearly as entertaining as I was expecting. But it was still entertaining to me. I still enjoyed the the meathead qualities of, of it in a way where it's like it's not as much a total failure as Samurai Cop, and it doesn't have <laughs> as many moments that are nearly as fun. But it was consistently pretty entertaining. It never really, I mean, the Jim Brown scenes dragged, I guess, but they were still kind of fun because it, I the entire time I'm like thinking of like imagine like Tom Brady and like the equivalent of this movie in in, in 20 years or something yes, like that. Like, yeah, yeah. It's there. Those are kind of fun if you think about it, like in a the meta kind of quality of like who Jim Brown is. Um, but yeah, it was a narrow. It was a tough decision because Godzilla Raids again was a lot better than I remembered it. Yeah, I, I mean, Killing yeah. American Style is not Amir Sherevan's best effort, but I enjoyed it. And I would say I would probably make the opposite call if we were talking about one of the dubbed versions of Godzilla Raids again. Interesting. So it would swing on something as minor as yeah, I mean, I think a minor so. thing, but okay, yeah, that's interesting yeah. to know. We needed more bad dubbing in Killing yes, American Style is what we that's needed, true, and it's yeah. an easy decision. Do you, do you think these two films would work together as a double feature? It's tough. I'm going to say yes, because... I mean, this the answer to this question is really, for Jim and I, has always kind of been nebulous, right? Because it's just like, a lot of it just kind of depends on how you're feeling at the time or, you know, what your current mood is. Right, right, right. Because these movies are so different, but there's a silliness factor to both of them. Godzilla Raids Again, it, the silliness is just kind of, I mean, it's the costumes, it's the models, it, it, as well done as they kind of are at times. Right, right. They're both B movies in some way, and that and that's yeah, and that's I think what I found disappointing about Godzilla Raids again because Godzilla is an A movie, and other movies in the series, Mothra versus Godzilla, I would not consider a B movie. Shin Godzilla is certainly not a B movie, but right, anyway, that's that's beside the point. But Killing American Style gives you a lot of what you don't get in Godzilla Raids again because you get Godzilla Raids again, you get the models, you get fun Godzilla destruction, monster fights. I, I always like that even if it's not captured incredibly well. It's it's always just fun. It's always there's there's an incredible satisfaction to be found in seeing miniature cities be destroyed. I've always said this. That's oh, one yes. of the core appeals of the series. Killing American style, meanwhile, gives us action that's even dumber somehow and it, it's just like this and the action itself isn't like great because it is a lot of like people sneaking up on people and just shooting them when they turn around <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of that there's yes, too much it's of not that. it's not well choreographed is it <laughs> but the kung fu fights are still kind of fun i enjoyed the fight with the cop before he strangles him to death in the motel room with the bad artwork yes i guess you get unintentional laughs in both movies but the but sort of in different ways killing american mm-hmm. style due to the ineptitude of a lot of the filmmaking godzilla raids again it's not ineptitude in the filmmaking it's just dated filmmaking i guess right right yeah so i i do think they work fairly well it's by no means a perfect pairing but i i enjoyed it yeah i always uh when i think of 
if something would work as a double feature. I always just try to come up with some theme that might tie them together. Okay. And, and we've, we've made a few connections. Yeah, we've yeah. definitely covered a few. We've They've got the recurring theme of escaped convicts wreaking havoc, one <laughs> right. way or another. Yeah. We've got the poor dubbing, uh, even though this particular version of yeah, yeah, the Raids right. again doesn't have it. But, dub version, but yeah. you know, if we watched a dub version, particularly Giganus the Fire Monster, and then we've got Amir <laughs> Shervin's bad dubbing. We've yeah. got the Japanese characters through, you know, obviously everybody in Godzilla Raids again. The Hispanic Japanese Dr. characters. Yeah. And Dr. <laughs> Fuji's wife. Yeah. Death, I guess, is a recurring. Destruction. Wanton. Killing. Yeah. So what's your so what's your final verdict? Are you for this double feature? Yeah, I'd i if I owned a drive-in, I would pair them as a late Saturday late night feature. Well, and and that's why the the beauty of the drive-in double feature is your second feature is the really late night one, and Killing American Style I think is is an excellent second feature. Yeah, it's the very very B movie quality. It's it's a very sleazy film. It's not as <laughs> sleazy as the opening scene would suggest, but it is a sleazy film, so it, yes. it works out well there. So, anyways, before we get into what uh, Jim and I will be covering next week, uh, Sean, I want to just thank you for joining us here. I know um, I. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. And if you want to uh, perhaps tell our listeners about your, you have a book on Godzilla, or you've co-authored a book on Godzilla. I do, if yeah. It's, uh, if, if, you're, if you're interested, it's called Japan's Green Monsters. It's co-authored by me and my uh, friend and colleague, Brooke. And it's kind of an analysis not only of Godzilla films, but just other Japanese kaiju films like Gamera, Mothra, some others. Um and how they've all kind of had a running social and environmental commentary going back from the original all the way up to the most recent ones. More academically inclined, certainly, than our discussions today. But I initially kind of, when I've talked about this podcast with like people who ask what it's about, I've often fallen back on the description that it's like, oh, well, it's two academics because Jim has a master's degree, I have a master's degree, I'm working on my PhD. Two academics talking about some of the movies, in many cases, least worthy of you know intelligent discussion <laughs> which which is certainly the case with killing america style today yeah if, if anyone's interested with that check it out i own it it's available at well you can get it online it's at uh yeah and it's published by mcfarland you can get it on their website amazon carries it it's at the university of oxford libraries the bodleian libraries it's a fan-oriented academic work so we try to keep it fairly light but also try to have some real serious discussion about japanese monster movies which you know there's some books out there that totally rip the movies apart um, and make fun of them. There's others that kind of just give personal, you know, feelings about them. We try and kind of chart this middle path and, you know, make a kind of interesting and fun discussion, but also with a serious tone. So, you know, it's not for everyone, but if you're really interested in Godzilla films, um, check it out. And like I said, we also, if you're a fan of Gamera, we also talk about some of the Gamera films, which almost nobody has uh, written anything else about them. So, yeah. Well, I'm not a Gamera fan, personally. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, um, what Jim and I will be discussing next week, we return to two classic 80s slasher movies. We've got Friday the 13th Part 3, and we've got The Prowler, the 1981 Tom Savini effects splatter fest. So that should be a should be a fun double feature next week. Again, thank thanks again for joining me, Sean, and thank you listeners yeah. for joining us. 